Does an orthopedic condition or sports injury have you sidelined? Make your comeback with GW Hospital Sports Medicine. We offer services from neck to toe, including care for shoulders, hips, knees, ankles, and hands. Plus, we're the official healthcare partner of GW Athletics, the DC Furies, and the DC Revolution. Get back to doing the things you love. Learn more at gwhospital.com slash sportsmed or call 888-4-GW-DOCS. Physicians are not employees or agents of this hospital. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your hosts from SteelersDepot.com where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora. Always lit. Talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 117. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday, Steelers Nation. Six days until day one of the 2023 NFL Draft. And so we are getting ready here with our last uh, minute draft profiles and mock drafts and predictions and discussions. And that includes a draft roundtable We'll have a bit later in the show with Jonathan Hytrider, Josh Carney, Tom Mead, and Joe Clark. So about ready to get this whole thing done, taken care of, and ready for the draft, Dave. Happy Friday, and uh, things will be a lot different next Friday, won't they? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so we're really about to shift focus here and uh, start you know, learning more about this 2023 Steeders class and just an exciting time and looking, you know, I say this every, every year, man, you go, we, we come out of the season and obviously you and I are behind on draft prospects. Uh, uh, and really, I don't start really getting to know a lot of these kids until senior bowl time. Uh, but, but when I look back every time at this time of year, I think, man, I, I've been able to learn so much about this class. And thankfully we've got these guys doing the draft profiles with it, which, which helps, you know, speed that up. And obviously we've had guys at uh, the senior bowl and the shrine bowl and, and, and the combine and things like that. It's just, it, it amazes me how much you can cram into just a couple of months uh, with this prospect, you know, with these prospects, especially with, you know, we both watch college football throughout the season, but we don't pay, we don't, dive deep into the tape or learn a lot more about these guys until actually the Steelers season uh, ends. So it's just amazing because we had the long round table, uh, another round table discussion today with some of the guys. Uh, it, it just amazes me how much, you know, how far we've come in just a short matter of time. Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other day that back in January, just a couple of months ago, I felt so unsettled, didn't really feel confident or comfortable in these names. And now I just a a total 180. And just by the way here, not uh, super relevant to Pittsburgh, but some huge news coming in here just as we began the podcast here this Friday, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, the NFL has suspended five players headlined by Lions uh, wide receiver and former first round pick Jamison Williams for violations of the NFL gambling policy. Uh, he's now been suspended indefinitely at least a year or, or, or wait, wait, I'm sorry. I apologize. No, he's it might five be six, games. Games. six games. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the tweet is not worded all that well, but um, William he, suspended. He, six he and Rappaport may have participated in four, two, Oh, Dave, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. We'll get, we'll talk about that in a second, but, but yeah, Williams, six games, uh, and then I think Quentin Cephas is a year. 
I don't know. This this tweet is actually really hard to read. But point is, is there are some big big suspensions being handed down by the NFL. Yeah, for gambling violations as well, too. So, boy, yeah, and all those are Lions players, right? And then there's Commander's uh, Shaka Tony as well. So I okay. think it looks like four Lions and a commander, a Commander's player. All right. Interesting news here to start off a Friday. I wonder how what that does to their their draft plans. Maybe they. Yeah, I wonder if they point. know. I wonder if they uh, known known these have coming. Uh, they probably had some suspicion, I imagine, for how long. I don't quite know, but I, I imagine this is not going to be news to them as it is news to to us. So, Dave, the Allen Robinson trade has been finalized, officially announced by the Steelers today. I know that took a couple of days for the physical to happen and probably him you know, sign the contract and everything to become officially official. But the Robinson deal is done. It does seem to come with some sort of maybe contractual wrinkle or change to it. Um, but you can kind of outline what that might mean and what that might not mean. Yeah. And it, once again, we, we joked about Ian Rappaport and, and, and the wording of his tweets last night. Uh, he broke the news on this. It's just the, the wording of it makes it kind of hard to decipher there. Uh, long story short, and, and I think uh, Adam Schefter kind of gave us more clarification. I think what Ian was doing was rounding down and, and to, for the general public, rounding down in numbers is fine. But for people that lose sleep over it like I do, it drives you absolutely crazy. But uh, it sounds like uh, that the Rams are, 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 are paying a total of $10.25 million of what Robinson was scheduled to earn in 2023. Now, let me clarify that even more. He was, he was scheduled to earn a $10 million base salary in 2023, along with a $5.25 million uh, roster bonus. Originally, I thought that that roster bonus was due to him in March and thus already paid by the Rams. But I went back and looked late last night. I don't think there was a March uh, date tied uh, to that. So, uh, and and I and I, I think to confirm that up is it, it didn't matter anyway because fifteen point all fifteen point two five million of what Robinson was scheduled to earn in two thousand and twenty three was guaranteed. So, uh, it sounds like what the Rams did is they probably took that ten point two five million dollars and and gave it to uh robinson before the trade right before the trade as part of a signing bonus uh to lower his base salary down to five million so that the steers could accommodate that over uh, on their side in a trade uh there so he arrives to this uh visualize this he arrives to the steelers with a five million dollar uh base salary in 2023 period uh from there it sounds like and i i threw this out on twitter a couple of days ago i didn't think omar would would do this but it it sounds like by the wording this is what happened you know uh he has the he's under contract technically for for this year plus three more years with two of those being void years 
Uh, it sounds like what they did is they they are lowering Robinson's base salary down from five million to one point one six five million, giving him the rest of that five million, which is three point eight three five million in form of a signing bonus. And while we don't know for sure uh, because it's not stated yet. I'm willing to bet that they've taken that $3.835 million signing bonus and then filled it in over the four years as far as proration goes. Uh, That would make sense to do that because in turn, that would lower Robinson's 2023 cap charge down to $2.12375 million overall. Now, in doing that, obviously, you set yourself up for uh, potential dead money, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, next next offseason there. But uh, it would help you better accommodate Robinson on a lower cap charge versus five million overall. Now, once again, do we know this is fact? No. And shame on me for doing my cap update yesterday and assuming that the early numbers that were thrown out were going to uh, going to stick. But uh, we'll find out in a couple of days once this thing hits the NFLPA. But it does sound like Omar utilized the extra years in Robinson's contract, two of which are void to to uh, stretch out this signing bonus here. Now, uh, it would it would make sense to do that once again, by lowering his cap charge. So we'll find out. Nothing's really changed as far as how much the Steelers are assuming in the 2023. It's just the fact that it looks like they might be lowering his cap charge once he arrives via what is essentially a, 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 a restructure here. Now, here's the other thing that gets confusing here when it comes to Ian Rappaport's tweet. Right. He has 2024. Robinson now has a $10 million base down from 15 million. Well, the way that all over the cap already had previously Robinson's contract laid out, he already had a $10 million base. However, comma, he had a $5.75 million roster bonus due in March of 2024. Now, none of that 2024 money is guaranteed. The big question, which we'll find out for sure in a couple of days, is is what happened to that $5.75 million roster bonus in 2024? Did it indeed come over as part of the deal? I doubt seriously the Rams paid money, an extra $5.75 million to get rid of them because it would have made sense. If you're going to pay them all that money, to just keep them, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as part of that. So I think the big question now, here's the other thing that's plausible, I guess, is did they go to Allen Robinson and say, look, the Steelers have issue with that $5.75 million roster bonus in 2024. Uh, if we cut you and we don't trade you, it's going to go away. Now, how bad do you want to go to Pittsburgh? Are you willing to erase that $5.75 million roster bonus in 2024 to move specifically to Pittsburgh? Or do you want us to just cut you and it goes away automatically there. Uh, mm-hmm. So the wording of, of rap, 
Rappaport's tweet here, and we have mean we uh, we have not seen anything to clarify this. I don't think out of any of any of the other ma- mainstream media guys is is what exactly happened to the 2024 structure. I will say this: if somehow that 5.75 million dollar roster bonus in 2024 went away as part of this deal. And they would have to get Robinson to sign off on, on this, uh, obviously right. here, but if it did go away, it makes this deal even that much more fantastic on the Steelers side because of the fact that it now gives Robinson a fighter's chance to stay past 2023 because at that point his base salary would be 10 million dollars and that would be all that's that that's due to him in total here so once again we're talking about a lot of things that we don't know here overall but the way that Rappaport's tweet is 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 worded here I think opens up at least the discussion of what happened (laughs) What does it mean? What what happened to the $5.75 million roster bonus in 2024? Because I, I doubt seriously that the Rams paid it. Was it just erased in the language as part of this? Or is the whole thing just going to carry over in Ian's just very, very bad reporting on his part? Okay, so the options in terms of the possibilities of where that roster bonus went is either it's still there and the report is just somehow incorrect or it was negotiated where Pittsburgh said, we're going to take that roster bonus out. Robinson agrees to it as part of the trade of him coming over from Los Angeles. Is that correct? Yeah. uh, Either the, I would think that the Rams would have to negotiate that on their side because, because once he got to Pittsburgh, he could say, nah, I'm not going to do it. You know? Right. But but as part of the whole agreement and as the negotiation happened, I'm sure Pittsburgh was wanting that to be confirmed before the trade became official. Right. And once again, that five point seven five million in 2024 roster bonus would have went away had he been cut outright. Right. Because all of this right. contract yep. is just just just, just just eliminated there at that point. So I think it's plausible that. Maybe they went to him and say, how bad do you want 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 to go to Pittsburgh? Because, look, all of his 2023 money was guaranteed, right? So he was right. going to get that cut or not. Uh, it just might be. And I and I, you know, I guess the incentive there would be will trade. That's the only way that Pittsburgh will take you to the to this. Uh, overall, as part of this deal, they're not going to sign you if if we cut you outright. Too much minutia involved there at that point. Do you want to go to Pittsburgh? And if so, are you willing to eliminate that roster bonus in 2024? Right. It's it's just pure speculation on my part, based on the way that Ian Rappaport worded this tweet. So we'll have to see. But it does indeed sound like. They did lower his cap charge uh, down just to a little bit, uh, like two point one two three seven five million in two thousand twenty three by utilizing the four years in his contract. We won't know for sure until this hits the NFLPA, which unfortunately the the deal was just made official <laughs> this morning. It won't hit the sheet until tonight, and then 
we won't probably find out specifics until like Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of next week. So for going back to the roster bonus, the incentive for Robinson to agree to that is A, if he wanted to come to Pittsburgh, obviously, and B, I guess it also keeps that 2024 base salary there. So if he does have, say, an unbelievably good season, then theoretically he may get that money in 2024. So that, that would be the carrot to, to, to convince Robinson to do away with that roster bonus because had he been cut, whatever contract he would have gotten from any team is not going to have a $10 million base salary in 2024, I would imagine. Correct. And then there's, I, I don't know how the, how the offset language is in that versus what the Rams would be guaranteed to pay and what a new team would pay and how much that would offset the Rams payment and all like that. That's a whole different uh, uh, podcast there. But uh, I would think, that just as you worded there, I would think that the incentive would be that because look, the Steelers weren't aren't aren't going to pay him no matter how good is he would really have to have a good season for him to even think about getting lasting past March of 2024 because that's the that's the the timetable that's tagged with the 5.75 million roster bonus there right so. The incentive would be for him to eliminate that and still give him an opportunity to earn $10 million in 2024 if he has a good season with Pittsburgh in 2023. That's the only logical explanation that I would have for him eliminating the $5.75 million roster bonus in, in March of 2024. And, and to be clear, the odds of him being a stealer under those terms next year are still low, but it does increase those odds at least ever so slightly that this team would not have to make a decision as early with, you know, obviously guaranteed roster roster bonus money. So it does bring those odds from, I don't know, 2% to 5% or whatever number you want to put to it. And that would be the the reason to get Robinson to, to agree to this. Right. And here's the other thing. If you only have the $10 million base that you're dealing with, with him, and when it comes to 2024 money, and that's a big if once again, uh, and let's say he goes out and has, I don't know, uh, 50 catches for 650 yards and, six touchdowns or five touchdowns. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, he's, he's he's worth, he's worth that 10 million. Well, you still have those unavoidable years in there, right? So what you could do if you were in a salary cap situation is you could restructure it again, take, take, take as much as that $10 million that you want to turning into a signing bonus and lower his 2024, uh, uh, cap charge. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, so, it starts loading up the dead money, but you're right. It's, it's an option if you want to utilize it. Whereas if he had $15.75 million on the books in 2024, with 5.75 of that being uh, due in March or a decision being made in March, odds are he's not going to survive March. Sure. Is there a precedent for this? Because I know obviously like, you know, with Vance McDonald's contract, this the Steelers like to take out some of these incentives. I know this is not an incentive and Pittsburgh has done a lot of roster bonuses and some of the contracts that it has, but is there any sort of precedent based on a team, the Steelers getting rid of a roster bonus as they acquire a player before? Not, not that I remember in recent history, as long as I've been paying more and more closer attention to this uh, overall. No, now they did work out the McDonald uh, uh, per game, roster bonuses, but it was after a couple of years, you know, uh, after a year or two that he was in Pittsburgh already. 
you know. Okay, it was in uh, that second year, I guess, that first full year they had redone that contract, I guess. Right. Uh, either it was the first full year to say, I don't remember exactly, okay. but it did, it did not happen initially when he came over. No, uh, there. And this circles us back to the whole thing is, uh, boy, kudos if indeed this happened with them using those void years that were already in place there as a mean to lower his cap charge. Well, it, it shows that Omar is at least open to being creative like that past the Kevin, past the, past the COVID year. Yo. Sure, because our thought was, you know, $5 million, you know, the Rams were eating most of that that money, but that's still, you know, a fair amount of money for Pittsburgh to, to carry this year with right. not a lot of cap flexibility. And so if they're trying to creatively, let's get Robinson and basically have minimal uh, a minimal cap charge against them, that's going to free us up to do other things or not have to do other things in terms of restructuring, although they probably still will, but just again, gives you giving you that additional cap flexibility. Right. So... The big question, there's two questions we need to answer by the middle of next week is, A, did they indeed turn that, uh, are, are they indeed going to stretch that that three point whatever million uh, of, of a signing bonus given to them now over the course of uh, the four, four total years? Uh, and the other thing is, is what happened to that $5.75 million roster bonus in 2024? Right. So just to be clear one last time, the base salary, we know that has not changed. There's no way the base salary was reduced from 15 to 10 because the base salary was 10 prior to the trade. There's a roster bonus in there, and that seems to be the crux of the issue that we're trying to figure out. In 2024, yeah. To my understanding, the base salary in 2024 was already $10 million. But uh, the, there was a $5.75 million roster bonus that was due in March of 2024. And okay. that's why the, the Ian Rappaport stuff and, and uh, you know, him saying that uh, uh, the Rams paid $10 million total. Actually, they paid $10.25 million total of the 2023 money he was due. Okay. He might have just been rounding there, but yeah, yeah point point taken. Which drives so, me crazy. When I know, I know it does. So overall, again, basically a similar reaction before, but you know, very I, I, I always kind of hesitate to say low risk, but I guess it is appropriate to say, you know, low risk Pittsburgh not giving up much here and kind of getting things done the way that they want to get things done to acquire a guy in Robinson who we agree can still play in this league. Right. And I'm sorry to use up uh seventeen minutes of time talking about all this but this is important stuff that i pay attention to and you and matthew were having a great conversation and i saw you were getting frustrated and i was just kind of just the, the innocent bystander watching it all uh, fly by uh, i'm surprised i had the sleep score that i had last night it was good oh I, I figured it'd be in the negatives yeah night. uh it was a 79 sleep score last night if you can believe it which is right. which is pretty damn good for me the Dave Bryant's draft stock on the rise here yeah. in this last uh, last process. So happy to hear that. We'll get it figured out by Tuesday, and we'll uh, we'll come back uh, probably hopefully for Wednesday show and be able to give you guys all the clarification there. So uh, back to the NFL draft here, and again we'll go to our uh, draft roundtable discussion here in just a couple of moments. But an article that I've been meaning to write about. This is a couple days old at this point, but I I, I read it and I said I want to write about this. Just hadn't gotten the time. And so I finally wrote it for Friday. Uh, Tony Paulini, one of my favorite draft analysts, insiders for Pro Football Network, has really been on the the bandwagon and very adamant and convinced Pittsburgh will be drafting a center sooner than later. And Pittsburgh's had interest in some of the interior offensive linemen 
And he's really, you know, been connecting Pittsburgh to, I think, two names in particular in the latest article he had written in John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota and Joe Tipman from Wisconsin. Now, Michael Schmitz came in for a visit. We've kind of had those thoughts connected for a bit now. Tipman, we've heard less of, um, but he's a really good athlete and, and somebody that I think Pittsburgh would certainly be interested in. And so, again, I know it's draft season. It's rumor mill season. You know, we'll get our answers here soon enough. But um, that was notable considering how, you know, just over the top adamant Pauline has been in that article and uh, other uh, articles he's written as well about Pittsburgh having interest in a center. Boy, coming out, and, and we mentioned this during our roundtable discussion, coming out of last season, uh, not many people probably would have given much credence to the thought of the Steelers drafting a center, uh, especially in the first four rounds of the 2023 draft. But the, uh, as this whole pre-draft process has, has, has run its course here, it, it really does seem plausible that, that they'll draft a center within the first four rounds this year. Yeah, it's not just the sole fact that they're going to draft a center. You know, something later, day three would make sense. You're not sure who the backup is with J.C. Hassenauer in in New York with the Giants, but is it going to be, you know, a 32-49 type scenario, higher than maybe what what people think after you add Sayamalu and um, you add Herbig, and those are, of course, guards. They played center a bit in the past, but you felt like Cole was steady in the middle. So, again, it's the thing I've talked about so much. I've really wrestled with, you know, my my brain saying this team doesn't really need a high-end center at, at 32 or 49, but also just the evidence of Pittsburgh has shown a lot of interest there. And so what do you make of all that? We'll find out. But um, have you watched Tipman at all? I've watched him a little bit. Not, not enough. I, I okay. probably, before, uh, I tell you what, I'll make it a goal to cram in three full games of his by Monday. And let's have let let's revisit a discussion on him uh, on Monday. Okay, yeah. the 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 skinny on Titman is is that he's a really you know pretty tall center. Dude's like six five, six six, but a great athlete who can pull work in space. And of course, you know you play at Wisconsin, you're going to be able to run block. So um, that's the story on Joe Titman. But I just wanted to pass that along because um, yeah, Pauline's a guy that I I look towards a lot, and um, you know he's really made mention. Uh, quite a few times about Pittsburgh looking at a center. Okay. All right. What else do we have here, Dave? Uh, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett bulking up, according to his uh, personal quarterback coach, who was on 93.7 The Fan yesterday. Pickett's now about 226 pounds. Ended last year about 213. So adding 13 pounds of all good muscle, good weight, according to his coach. And so I think they're calling him Kenny Thicket for 2023. <laughs> you said it before I could. Uh, <laughs> no, look, he looks great. I I, yep. I think he looks great. And and uh, you know, obviously he he you know as part of and I think uh his quarterback coach talked about uh OP talked about this, uh, you know, the pre-draft process and you know making sure uh, doing the things for the combine and all like that. And then, you know, getting into, in, into the seat, it's just a whole, everything that comes with, with the, uh, draft process and all like that. Uh, and, you know, he talked about, you know, what I think early in the off season about wanting to work and, and, and add a little bit of, you know, muscle to him and all like that. Uh, I think he looks great overall and hopefully this will, you know, help lend itself to, 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 you know, any, if any, uh, durability concerns uh, with him. It shouldn't impact his mobility or anything like that. He's just uh, just a body metamorphosis of coming into the NFL and, and everything that goes along with that. Maybe, 
you know, hopefully the arm strengths maybe improved a little bit and, and all like that. I think Tony talked about how, you know, having a year under his belt and knowing what the Steelers expect, uh, the type of throws in, in the offense that, that he can make, they can really uh, hyper-focus in on that and the routes and the timing. and the f- I, t- Tony's talked quite a bit about the footwork aspect of Kenny Pickett uh, this offseason. I think Kenny has talked a little bit about that as well, too. So uh, he's doing all the things that you would hope to see that your second-year quarterback would do uh, during the off season after his rookie season. So we'll just wait to see what the, what the finished product is, 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 is overall here, but, uh, best shape of his life. <laughs> we are in that season. We're in the best shape of, 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 uh, your life season, but it, as it seems true for Pickett and you're right. Um, you know, you can, Kenny Pickett's a worker like this dude just, you know, dedicates time to, to getting better, better at his craft and, 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 Putting in the effort, and and that's a you know not that does not guarantee he's going to become the next you know franchise star quarterback, but it's a really good place to start. It's a really solid foundation that basically ninety eight percent of all the great quarterbacks have had that great work ethic, dedication, and I think just for for year one to year two, that focused intensity. I'm a Steeler. I'm the starting quarterback. I know exactly what's expected of me and, and how things should go and how things should look compared to a year ago. When you have no idea what team you're going to go to, no idea what situation, what system you're going to be dropped into, you're going to start, be a backup, compete, no earthly idea. And so just to go from year one to year two to focus on football, not on my my pro day script and combine stuff and interviews and just focusing on being the best quarterback you can be. To me, that is why you see those guys make that jump so often from year one to year number two. And look, the maturity aspect with him coming out was never in question. The leadership, all like that. Uh, the, the the guy easily checked all those boxes. But now this is his team. Now this mm-hmm. is this is his offense. He's assumed that position. Got all the you know uh, all the guys down there in Florida and stuff like that. Uh, I mean. Uh, all the box, once again, all the boxes that you'd want him to check when it comes to an off-season process after his rookie season are checked now, in my my opinion. Uh, and and we'll just see 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 what this brings on the field now. Yeah, and we'll see. Uh, I think he'll make a jump. I think a lot of these young guys, such a young offense last year, um, you'll you'll see Pickett and others make that year number two jump. Uh, I do want to mention, just going back to the draft, uh, the last profile I'm going to do, the last player profile I'll post is a guy that you had mentioned a while back, and I could I didn't give it much mind. I didn't know much about the guy. I was watching his tape last night, City So from Eastern Michigan, and I'll give you a little teaser. It'll kind of segue into our our next conversation. City So checks the, every single box what Pittsburgh looks for when it comes to interior offense alignment. And he played left tackle early in his uh, Eastern Michigan career, finished it, at, finished it out at left guard, um, highly experienced, 54 career starts. This dude's a mauler in the run game, like his torque, his power, displacement, like he does a great job in the run game. Um, he's got good size, has good length, and he's not he's not a great athlete in the open field, but this guy's got burst off the ball. Like He's not a slow-footed type of guy in terms of getting out of his stance. And so I was watching his tape uh, late last night against Arizona state, for example, um, this guy's, this guy's going to be a talent. Yeah, I think so. And, and we talked about early in this, you know, several weeks ago about this guard class and, and yada, yada, especially when it come, came to true left guards, right. Right. Uh, or correct. I should say, uh, 
because look, I also like uh, John Gaines out of UCLA, but uh, he's I, I think pre- predominantly been a, a a a right guard. He's another guy to watch in this in this guard class. But uh, I think City So uh, when it comes to true left guards in this class, and 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 not talking about the tackles that might move over and that kind of stuff, and obviously on the heels of Voorhees going down like that, uh, this guy's going to probably end up going. I don't know, third, fourth round, uh, uh, because he is that good because he is a true left guard and probably one of, if not the top two or three left guards in his class now, I think. And I remember you saying you didn't love Gaines tape as much as you thought you would. Right. And I know the, right. the testing is great, but the, the, the actual tape was not quite as impressive. Yeah, but look, I think a, t- a team's still going to get a great fine with him wherever he sure. goes, fourth, fifth, sixth round or whatnot. Just maybe not as high as what I originally thought uh, when I went back and, and and did a deeper dive on him. Remember, he's a guy, too, that's played up and down. He's He's got some center in his uh, uh, a small package of center reps in, in, in his repertoire. I think even one left tackle snap. Uh, oh, just one snap. Oh, really? Yeah, but uh, uh, he's, he's, he's played a handful at, at, at right tackle, obviously both of the guard positions and a little center as well, too. So if you get into that fourth or fifth round and not necessarily the Steelers, but but any team in general, I, I think John Gaines is going to look real, real attractive to you as a guy that can uh, push uh, maybe, you know, some of the offensive linemen ahead of him in camp and maybe even outright win a job. Great leadership. I was there like, I, I think, five years at UCLA. And it seems to be an ultra clean prospect across the board. Leadership, uh, uh, captaincy. And I think even his, uh, oh, it's been a while ago I put out there, but if you look at his, I think his uh, short shuttle time. It was A plus, yeah. Uh, when you look at it, you look at the, 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 the previous drafted guards that have had his uh, short shuttle time or lower. It's a short list, but damn, it's impressive. Yeah, there's a really strong. What's the number like four, four, five or better in the short shuttle uh, for interior alignment? If you're below that, the correlation between that and NFL success is really strong. Yeah, it's like super. Let me see if I can find that tweet real, real quick here okay. on, uh, that and, I had on him. And while you do that, I'll leave another teaser here. John Gaines missing only one category, one box away in our what they look for study. That was the bench, only 19 reps. Uh, on the bench press, but he hit in every other category. So yeah, certainly named the watch and, and, and the testing is all there. Um, but I did want to mention so because I felt like this is a guy with good tape and, and his testing was really impressive as well, considering the body type and the frame. Yeah, I, I'm I'm having problems finding that uh, that that tweet on him here. Maybe I didn't tweet it out, uh, but I think maybe we talked about it on a podcast or something like that. But uh, it uh, it was it was really amazing when you look back at the list of 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 of, of the players that had or guards specifically. I think. Uh, that were drafted that had a short shuttle time of at least his or 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 or, or quicker. Not that I'm saying it's a bad thing, but the number of like to, to use your phrase of true guards that have been just guards in their career, it's a very short list. Even Gaines, I guess, isn't technically been a guard his whole career. So was not a guard his whole career. He was left tackle his freshman season. 
Like, I'm just trying to think of how many guys were actually just, they were just a guard. I think it's Osiris Torrance and maybe just Osiris Torrance. Was it, what was Voorhees? Did Voorhees? No, he played, he's played tackle too. Okay. He's played guard and okay. tackle. Yeah. And Avelius played center and guard. And so, you know, I guess Sean Michael Schmitz has been a center, not, not a guard, but he was like one spot his whole career. So, I mean, again, versatility, I'm not saying these are bad things, but just it is kind of funny to sit there and say, um, you know, how many true guards there are. It's a pretty short list. Okay. And that kind of leads into our what they look for study. The latest one that we did, just a couple of these left, but the latest one posted on Steelers Depot was the edge class. And Dave, to be honest, I thought there would be more edge rushers for us to talk about. Only one of them checked every single box. And it's not really even a great edge rusher, not a really a fit in Pittsburgh. It's um, and of course it's a name that I'm gonna struggle to pronounce, but but Tommy, uh the edge rusher from Northwestern, who's probably gonna be more of an interior type lineman in the NFL. So he was the only guy to check every single box with that really freaky workout that he had at the combine. So I thought there would be other edge rushers who, who hit all those notes, but he was the only one. Uh, and who was close? Yeah. One box away. There were a couple names, Baldonado from Pitt just missed in the 40 time. Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame uh, missed in the three cone Thomas and Coon from central Michigan. One of my kind of day three guys missed in the vert. Uh, Oshawn Mathis from Nebraska, uh, 40 time. And a guy you talked about, a guy we'll talk about in the round table, Byron Young from Tennessee, uh, short shuttle because he did not participate. But um, Young's got some other concerns in his game and overall profile. And look, I mean, based on Byron Young's tape alone, I'm willing to hit it. He w- if he would have ran that short shuttle, I'm willing to bet he would have hit it. Yeah, he had a really good workout. I imagine he would have been just fine. Uh, now they they haven't seemed to show much interest in him, and he is a little bit older of a prospect and all like that. That Baldonado's an interesting uh, uh, guy as well, too. Obviously, right there in Pitt's backyard, uh, I think played uh, mostly with his hand in the dirt, right? And uh, but I mean, if you're going to consider a guy like uh, uh, Uzama out of out of uh, out of uh, North uh, Kansas State then you have to, I think, consider Baldonado as, as a potential later round guy. Yeah, he's got a little bit of size and some length and and good testing overall. So um, that's probably a name. And I think Incombe's a, a bigger, kind of heavier-handed type type edge rusher. Um, and, and you're talking maybe, you know, late day three type candidate with him. That Adam Bawara is going to be an interesting guy to watch once he gets into the NFL, because man, he can, he can get after the quarterback and he moved up and down on that Northwestern uh, line. It's just from a measurable fit. He's an oddball, you know? Yeah. Again, I, you know, he's not really an edge. I put him on the list just to be as uh, inclusive as possible, but you know, he's not going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers three, four outside linebacker. Um, I don't know exactly a, where's he going to go? I mean, right. he, he, might, he might, I think he might, might end up being a first round pick, but just kind of the fit and who's going to want to try to figure out how to best use him. But the talent is certainly off the charts. So that'll be a really interesting uh, name to watch just for, for the draft overall, not just for Pittsburgh, but just watching it as a fan to see, where this guy's go, he could go anywhere from 10 to 35. I mean, I really don't know what, where he'll uh, actually end up. I, I think, I think you can even open up the window all the way down to 50, 50 potentially with him because he <laughs> is, he is such an odd fit. Now he, he, he held his own at the uh, senior ball, man. Oh, he had a great week. Yeah. I mean, just overall, but I mean, six foot one and five eights, two eighty two. I mean, you know, you're getting into that 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 uh, can't see talk as well too. When you when you're talking about a guy kind of that 
that that that size there. But he has but length, I mean, like thirty four inch arms, which I is know. absurd for the height because Cansey's really you know sh- short. He, he's T Rexy. You just don't find. You might find guys with with measurables across the board like him, but they do they have the tape that. That that impresses you, uh, and and Adebowari does. So it's going to be. I don't. I, we neither one of us think he's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler, but it will be interesting to see where he lands, how he used, how he's used, and 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 how he how he goes about his NFL career. Yeah, his measurables. It feels like an error. Like somebody made a mistake and and mm-hmm. put two players together. Six zero one five two eighty two thirty four inch arms twenty seven on the bench four four nine forty time one five five ten split. 37 and a half inch vertical, 10 five broad, 7133 cone. Like, this is the, 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 the testing in the frame. They just don't seem to match at all, but that's a hyper freaky athlete. And if a team can figure out how he wins in their system, then he's going to be a really good player. It's like they gave him seven pounds too much and, <laughs> right. uh, and three inches not enough. Because <laughs> right, if, exactly. if, if this guy was 6'4, 270. <laughs> He's like a top five pick. I mean, just from a measurable standpoint, uh, he he becomes a kind of a planet theory guy almost to to because of the vert, because of the broad, because mm-hmm. of the short shuttle and three a uh, three cone, and then and oh yeah, the tape is awesome on top of him. So yeah, we haven't talked a lot about him because just not thinking he's a fit, but uh, uh, he's going to be interesting to watch. For sure, for sure. All right, Dave, without further ado, let's get to our part two of the Steelers Depot 2023 NFL Draft Roundtable discussion, joined by Josh Carney, Joe Clark, Jonathan Heitschritter, and Tom Mead. Just over an hour getting their thoughts on this draft class, Steelers team needs, and who might be the pick at number 17. We'll take a pause and come back with the roundtable. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, part two of our Steelers Depot 2023 NFL Draft Roundtable had the four guys on two weeks ago, and we'll have four more of the Steelers Depot crew on today. They are Tom Mee, Jonathan Hightrader, Josh Carney, and Joe Clark, all names I know you guys have heard from before, and we're really excited to have these guys on again uh, to get their last-minute thoughts on the 2023 NFL Draft in the, in the direction the Pittsburgh Steelers may go. Jonathan, I'll start with you since we just kind of had this conversation uh, before we began to record, and I want to get the other guys' thoughts as well. But, you know, big debate at 17, not only the, you know, obviously the player, the individual name, but the position, the positional value. This year it's much harder to predict and map than, you know, quarterback was last year running back and Najee Harris was in 2021. So you made the comment about, you know, deciding between what's more valuable offensive tackle or corner, you know, it's a deep cornerback class. So how do you weigh that when it comes to, do you not take that guy at 17, take him at 32 or 49? So just kind of give me your thought process in terms of, you know, how you're juggling potentially the positional value of what to take at pick 17. Yeah, I think that when you look at pick 17 and you look at, say, offensive tackling corner, which are what most people are going to see as the Pittsburgh Steelers' top needs, I think you look at this the names that are associated with those relative positions. Well, if you have a guy like Paris Johnson Jr. or Broderick Jones that like are considered the top of the cream of the crop of the offensive tackle class, should they fall to that point at 17? I think that's when you know you get the run the card up scenario potentially from Pittsburgh. Uh, but other than that, I mean, you have guys like Darnell Wright, who many analysts are considering possibly the number one offensive tackle in this class for some people, uh, Dewan Jones, Anton Harrison. 
uh, with Wright being more of like that mid to late one, maybe early day two, but like Jones being more probably late one to early two and then Harrison and likewise in that same respect. I think when you look at the offensive tactical class relative to the corner class, where obviously you have Witherspoon and uh, Gonzalez who should be gone off the board before 17, but then you have like the guys that Pittsburgh has shown a lot of interest in Joey Porter Jr., uh, Deontay Banks, uh, you have like guys like Julius Brents and uh, Keely Ringo that are probably more day two type players. I think it's just relative to that position. Uh, if they have a guy that is in mind that they don't think that they can get at 32 compared to the other guys on their board, I think that that's where they'll go if they don't have a guy like Jones or uh, a Johnson Jr. available mm-hmm. at offensive tackle. So for me, I look at it in the sense of with corner, I think that it's probably a two-man race at 17, whether if it be Porter or Banks. And then if that's not the case and they go offensive tackle, I think that it would be one of probably Darnell Wright or maybe Dewan Jones there, maybe Harrison, but he feels like more of a 32 pick. So for me, I kind of lump those three tackles together and then those two corners together. So if you feel like you have that greater, that tier of the tackles and you feel like one of those three tackles is going to be available to you at 32, especially a guy like Anton Harrison, where it's a lot less of a projection compared to say the right tackles with Wright and possibly Dewan Jones, where you draft them, okay, do you move to Chikuma Okorafor over to left tackle, make Dan more the swing guy, or do you just draft Anton Harrison younger, has more upside, is a like a more like proven polished prospect when it comes to pass protection. He can go ahead and sub- possibly supplant Dan Moore Jr. year one, or at least just push him in camp. It, there's a lot less moving parts there, which is important sure. for the continuity of an offensive line. So for me, and you'll kind of see this uh, when we make our predictions later, I am kind of hedging toward the fact of probably it being corner, unless they have their mind made up of like an offensive tackle or say one of those two corners that they really want in terms of banks or Porter off the boards. Josh, how do you view this potential first round offensive tackle class? You know, Johnson not looking like he'll be there. Broderick Jones, I think maybe the odds are increasing. He could be there. Darnell writes in this conversation, you know, day one Jones potentially, although we're not entirely sure how Pittsburgh feels about him after it appears that uh, a scheduled and reported visit uh, did not take place. So just give me your thoughts on the tackles in terms of the options at 17. Yeah, I, I really think with this tackle class, there's the big four. I'm still putting Northwestern's Peter Skaronsky in that tackle position, even though I, I do think he obviously will will shift to to guard at some point in his career. But you kind of mentioned the names. There's Paris Johnson, there's Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, you can put those four in any order, and I think I'd be comfortable um, with whatever you came up with. But at 17, I, I really think just based off of you know what we've seen uh, with mock drafts and a lot of what we heard, I think your two options are going to be Broderick Jones and Darnell Wright. Um, I would be stunned if Dewan Jones finds his way into the first round at this point, especially with you know some of the red flags he's had off the field with his weight and and not doing anything at his pro day uh, when teams were very obviously there to see him uh, compared to to Paris Johnson doing everything uh, at the pro day as a higher pick. So I think your, your options really are going to be Jones and and, and right there at at 17. And I would, I would lean Darnell, right. Even though he's really right tackle only, at least right now in his projection, I know he's done some of left tackle at Tennessee, but um 
I kind of lean right as the guy there. I think he fits the mold of what Pittsburgh's looking for in that mean physical run blocker. Um, You know, he's pretty athletic overall on on, um, the edge there at right tackle. So that would be my top choice um, there for now, Alex. And I know we've got, what, six days left until the first round. That's kind of where I'm leaning, and we'll get into that later as well. But um, those are the two options that I, I feel the most comfortable with. Um, with the caveat that I, I definitely do not think Skoronsky and, and Paris Johnson Jr. will be on the board. Let, let, let me throw out a tackle-related question to uh, to Tom and Joe Clark. Uh, is there one particular tackle in, 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 in at the top of this class that you would tie your wagon to that uh, you would even consider moving up? say four, five, six, or let's, let's, let's use nine because obviously uh, that spot's been talked about or rumored talked about uh, potentially if the Steelers were to move up, they, they would maybe move up as high as, as nine. And once again, that, that, you know, it's only uh, talk or rumor at this point, but is there any one tackle that you would move up, you know, spots or several spots to get? Yeah, I'll start with that. Um, I think it's definitely a possibility that moving up is is on the menu for them. Um, Paris Johnson probably will go for that nine spot. I think Broderick Jones is somewhere in that nine to eighteen spot where you know they could take a the the seventeenth pick in forty nine and move up and go and get the guy that they want. And then, you know, they had that 32 pick to start the second round, which is a prime spot to trade down. So they could recuperate a pick or two uh, if if they indeed trade up. So in my opinion, Broderick Jones is uh, a high possibility for them. I'm not on board with Dewan Jones at all. Um, and as, as far as Darnell Wright goes, I think he fits what they want to do, but if you're going to move up to take a tackle, uh, or even take a tackle in the, you know, where they stand, I think it should be a left tackle. Okay, Joe. Yeah. So, I mean, the one guy, obviously that I mean, I've been loved with in this draft class is Skaronsky, but I think he really long-term projects as a guard. And with the work they did bringing in Samalo and Herbig and they're really shoring up that interior, I'm not sure he's a guy now that they would move up for. So if they're going to move up, I think in that range, you know, somewhere between 9 and 12, I think is where they look to jump in and move to. So I think it really would be for Paris Johnson um, if he's there. I mean, if he's there, obviously, then I think they could look to make the move. But, um, I mean, I think he's kind of the guy they'd look for to kind of long-term anchor that left tackle position. Kind of even this year, if it doesn't start, which I think you probably would if they're taking him that early and developing him. Um, I mean, he'd sit behind Dan Moore Jr. for a year and then take over 2024, 2025. Um, long term, I think he would probably be it, it wouldn't be a bad move to move up to take him. So if that if that was what they were going to do, I think he would probably be the guy they do it for. Uh, Josh and Jonathan, just kind of similar question. Dave and I have kind of gone back and forth. I think we disagree a little bit and obviously anything could happen on draft day. Nobody knows. I don't think even the Steelers quite know right now, but if you had to guess and Jonathan, I'll start with you. Is it more likely if if I said, if I had a crystal ball that was kind of fuzzy and said, I know the Steelers traded that, that 17 pick. I don't know if they went up or down. 
Is it more likely likely in this draft they go up or down? If you had to guess, what direction do you think Omar Khan would go? For me personally, I'd probably say down. I posted an article uh, about a month ago saying that uh, the Steelers would likely trade down in this draft, at least probably with one of their first two picks at 17 or 32 overall. I've noticed like doing the mock draft Mondays and just watching like trends. And obviously mock drafts aren't like the be all end all when it comes to like projections, but it kind of gives you an idea of just like where people's kind of like stock is falling and how people are kind of like viewing general prospects. It just feels like 17 is such a no man's land in Mm -hmm. terms of like, okay, maybe you have like a Broderick Jones there. Maybe they have Joey Porter Jr. fall into their lap at 17 and it'd be hard for them to pass up on a guy where it's a position of need as well as it's the legacy pick and everything like that. But if those guys really aren't there I mean they could trade up a little bit but they already don't have any picks in the fifth and the sixth round and you know that they're going to want to be able to bridge that gap of what nearly 120 from more than 120 picks now they completely Allen Allen Robinson trade and trade down from that position so they're going to want to bridge that gap somehow I could definitely see a trade where you know maybe Kevin Dotson gets dealt maybe but at the same time I do think that they're going to trade down in this draft at some point to be able to recoup some of that middle round value. So I think that if you look at like the top names being unavailable and having the price to pay up whether it be a third fourth round pick just making that gap even greater I think if those like names that I mentioned are off the board I think trading down to like 23 with the Vikings I think trading down to possibly 32 with the Chiefs or 31 with the Chiefs is plausible just like if they want to go get like a wide receiver that they really want or say the Vikings are enamored with Hendon Hooker as a quarterback or something like that and they'll be able to net either you know another day two pick in the third round as well as multiple like day three picks in the fourth fifth and sixth round to do that while being able to still get a similar player of value in terms of like maybe a Brian Brzee, maybe a Dewan Jones, maybe a Devontae Banks and getting that same guy where they might have a tier of three to four guys are comfortable taking at 17, trade down four to five picks, recoup more of that middle round draft capital. That makes more sense in my mind than already parting with more draft capital, creating a bigger gap and getting a guy that, you know, can make an impact for you. But at the end of the day, you have less draft capital. Yeah, and you had the article that was really well received about, you know, could a team, a Minnesota, whoever, want Hedden Hooker and maybe move up for him? Tampa Bay at 19 goes up to 17 to try to block some other squad that's trying to, to push up. So uh, that totally makes sense. Josh, same question to you. If you had to guess up or down in round one, what direction do you think Pittsburgh would go? If you'd asked me this before free agency, I would have said down just because of the amount of holes and, and obviously not having that fifth or sixth round pick. but with how aggressive this this new front office has been, uh, at least in the last 11 months, I'm saying up. Um, you know, they've done a, a really nice job of plugging some holes, giving themselves some flexibility uh, when it comes to the draft. And if they identify that guy, say it's Paris Johnson, say Jalen Carter's on the board at nine um, or at 10, somewhere in, in that range, it would not shock me if, if Omar Khan, uh, you know, moves up and, and gets his guy. Uh, if you have a guy that you like, go and get him. I, I, I think that's something that we've always talked about. And uh, based off the work that they've done here in free agency this offseason, kind of reshaping this roster, I can really see this front office just 
kind of not punting on this draft in a sense and trading, you know, mid round picks and, and really just blowing it out of the water, but really just going up and, and getting their guy and, um, you know, kind of plugging a, a major hole, whether it's at left tackle or along the defensive line, if it's a, if it's a Carter or a Paris Johnson Jr. So I would, I would definitely say uh, moving up. Uh, let's talk about a guy that's kind of popped into discussion at, at possibly 17. Uh, and then I guess most recently kind of popped out. I don't know if we'll talk a little bit more about him right before the draft here or not, but Brian Branch out of, out of Alabama, uh, obviously more of a slot guy, uh, you know, call him what you will, cornerback, safety, defensive back, whatever. But but the Steelers obviously have a a seemingly big hole there because it, it looks like, you know, it, 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 it would be a collection of guys of Millett and, you know, possibly, you know, uh, I guess Casey or, you know, to, to, to fill that role as it sits right now. Uh, Tom and Joe, why would that or why wouldn't that happen at 17? Uh, I think there's a chance of it happening because of what Jonathan mentioned of that no man's land at 17. Um, if the top tackles are gone and say the top three corners are gone, there's a group of players, a big blob that if you told me, they were going to go 15th or 55th, I wouldn't be surprised. It's all going to be, about, <laughs> I, it's I all going to be about team need. And, uh, you know, slot corner is, it, it's it's a glaring need on the defense, someone who can cover. Millette's good against the run, but he struggles in the passing game, so they need someone who can cover. And Branch seems to be that hybrid guy who can cover out of the slot. He's Probably not going to be able to be the strong safety due to size, but um, it it would fill a need. And, you know, it, he's one of those highly intelligent players that the team likes to go after. And if if they get into a spot at 17 where, you know, those tackles and corners are gone, Branch could be the pick. Joe? Yeah, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of my thinking, too. If you get to a point of the board where, you know, your best tackle option available is Darnell Wright, you know, you know, you have even four, three or four quarterbacks. Banks could be off the board at that point. It's like, okay, I mean, you have a deeper quarterback class. You can grab a guy at thirty-two um, if you really want, like an outside sort of corner. Um, I mean, I think Anton Harrison would be there at thirty-two if they want to take a tackle. So then you can go, you can grab a guy. I mean, I like Tom said, Branch's intelligence is just it. It would, I'm, I'm sure, blew the Steelers away when they met with him um, at the combine. Like he's just one of those just, like super smart football players. Obviously, he played the same like star type position that Minka played at Alabama, and those guys just kind of like you know can float around, make plays all over the field. I mean, I think he's he's kind of the sort of guy that could could fit well in Tom in the Steelers defense. So I definitely think there's a chance if he gets to the point where you know like the you really like your top four corners, your top three tackles are off the board. I mean, I don't think they're he's a guy that they're going to take over a Deontay Banks or obviously Joey Porter Jr. Robert Jones, but if if those guys get off the board just because you're in a weird spot at 17, that could be a fit there. They can look to plug some other holes with their plethora of picks in the second and third. Jonathan and Joe, both of you were at the combine, and I think both of uh, did both of you get a chance to talk to Banks, and if so, or Branch and Brian Branch, and if so, can you envision him 
from from that conversation being the guy holding up that jersey at the initial press conference as 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 the first overall pick by the Steelers. Yeah, I talked to Branch, and I definitely could. I mean, he's super well spoken. He's a really intelligent guy. Like, you ask him a football question, he'll like really dive into like what he was thinking, what he sees. He went, um, you know, he like he, he's open about his strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and he had, I mean, he had a huge, huge pe- uh, amount of people at his podium, like getting questions from all over. He handled himself well. Um, I mean, obviously, he said he would would said he would love to play with Minka. He said one of the guys he models himself after is Palomalu. So that's all in that combine interview. So, I mean, I could definitely, he would, he's a guy that, I mean, I think he'd be a good player on the field. He could definitely win the press conference if he's the guy holding up that jersey if he's the pick at 17 next week. Jonathan, you did you talk to him any? I did not. While Joe was talking to uh, Branch, I was making my rounds around to like all some okay. of the other just because we figured we'd uh, divide and conquer a little bit. I will say like when, you know, staying around with a lot of other people, you know, you heard about how well he interviewed. And that's the thing where it's going to come down to, you know, the hearts and smarts, the character. And he checks all the boxes in terms of like having the brass as pro day, having the interview with him at the combine, like being that underclassman type of player like like he can play strong safety he can play in the nickel like he checks all those boxes like he's worked with grady brown talked with grady brown a lot while at that pro day so like you see all the boxes being checked but again how much is that athleticism going to matter especially not only to the football coaching staff but also the front office because frankly he did not have a very good combine in terms of his testing he's a great football player and that is obvious when you watch his tape but is that going to possibly knock him against a guy who is a premier athlete like a Deontay Banks, like Joe said, where, you know, you have this freak of nature outside boundary corner, which is one of their perceived needs. You know, Branch may be like the more like polished overall football player this time, but does that Trump say like a Branch or a Porter or whatever at 17? Yeah, it's a fair point, but I just think this team, they need, need to slot corner. I mean, the versatility that Branch is going to bring can replace a lot of what Cam Sutton did. Um, there's, there's definitely some of those Minka-type traits in Branch's game, not to the that level, the ball skills, the range, not quite there. But to me, I think he he's a strong fit overall for what Pittsburgh um, is looking for and what they've kind of lost this offseason. I want to go to Tom now to talk about defensive line. Um, you know, we don't know exactly where Pittsburgh will attack it. We assume they're going to bring somebody in at some point. Do you think it would be more of a, a nose tackle zero one tech Tom or more of a three tech pass rusher type? And if regardless of, of either guy, who are some names that you think Pittsburgh might be especially interested in when it comes to defensive line? Yeah. So that's an interesting position for this team because I could see them taking someone like Brzee in the first round or waiting all the way to the seventh, like they did for seven, eight years, you know, like out of 10 years where they took that sixth, seventh round guy to fill the need. Um, personally, from what they've done for, through free agency, I think that uh, more of that five technique, the longer, uh, Longer uh, arm length guys that can uh, back up um, Hayward. Uh, they've tried to fill that role with Louder Milk and Leal, and neither of them seems to be working out. So uh, I think somewhere along that line is uh, somewhere where they'd like to go. 
Um, you know, first round, if they go first round, it's going to be Brzee. That's a, you know, they've talked, you guys have talked about him on the podcast a lot and, you know, hearts and smarts and how he's going to be someone, uh, that, the, you know, you know, the team's going to like right away. Um, he definitely fills a spot there. If they wait toward, uh, the middle rounds, there might be a guy like, uh, Cameron Young from Mississippi state. Um, he was 6'3", 304, with 34 and a half inch arms. He's got experience. Uh, he, he played mostly as a 0-3 tech, but he, he has the size to play the five tech. He can. Um, he's he's got uh, good hands. He can stand up the offensive line with his strength. He's able to stack and shed at the point of attack, uh, and he's got potential as a power rusher. Um, he showed some flashes that were really nice, and another guy who is more of probably a late day three player. Um, I had him in my first mock, and I think Josh had him in, in his last mock is Corey Durden from North Carolina State. Uh, he's 6'4". He's listed at, he was 292 when he weighed in at the pro day. Uh, he was listed at the 305, 310 range at NC State. So uh, I'm not sure how much they either jacked up his weight or maybe he lost weight to, you know, to, for his pro day, but um, a, another, you know, long guy with 34 and an eighth inch arms, nine and seven eighths inch hands. Uh, he started out at Florida state and then moved to North Carolina state. He's got experience playing from the zero tech out to the five tech. So he'd be able to be a rotational guy all along the defensive line, uh, heavy hands, good placement. He's able to reset the line of scrimmage when he fires out. He's got a good motor, and he, he's he's got several pa- pass rush rush moves that he's able to 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 use to get pressure. He doesn't always get home, but he gets pressure up the middle. Um, he's got the ability to play the two gap. Uh, he, he plays with his eyes up consistently on the ball, and he'll pursue all over the field. He's, you know, he he kind of fits that late round player that uh, I could see them looking at. So those are a, a couple guys who you know, from first to seventh round, that could be options. Jonathan, I wanted to ask you about one name you mentioned earlier. It's a name I've kind of really started to warm up to in terms of possibly being the pick, and that's Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. Carl Dunbar at the Pro Day, brought in for a visit, um, really athletic, you know, pass rusher. Just give me your thoughts on on Carl Brooks. I mean, he makes a lot of sense basically checking all those boxes that we look at, like especially when you look at position coach at the pro day, like in the past, that's predicted so many mid-round Steelers picks when we look at like George Pickens or we look at, you know, other guys in the past, just having that play or that position coach at their pro day for those middle round picks, whether that be third, fourth round for a guy like Carl Brooks, but you look at it the body type that you want for that three tech four eye position for the Steelers is very rare in terms of being able to have that size to be able to play interior, but also have that athleticism and that twitch to be able to function as a pass rusher. And that's nice because like, while Carl Brooks like played a lot on the outside as a stand up edge rusher at like nearly 300 pounds, he also would kick inside and like use that athleticism to take advantage of guards on the interior. He needs to be, you did his film room. So you understand like he needs to be able to get stronger and be able to be more consistent in his run defense, especially mm-hmm. playing full on the inside. But if you decide, say the Steelers go 
corner, they go offensive tackle, say they take a premier edge or safety and they wait to address defensive line until that third, fourth round. Carl Brooks would be a perfect ideal person to target, be able to hit that need with a guy that has that athleticism, has that proven pass rush uh, production, and as well as just has the blues clues of like Carl or Dunbar there having the visit having all those conversations at the combine. He is a senior bowl guy, was able to talk to Tomlin and whatnot at the senior bowl. So their fingertips are all, or the fingerprints are all over him. So it's just a matter of, okay, do they address D line early with a guy like Brian Brzee or, you know, Keanu Benton, who's a very similar type body frame. And they take a guy like that, say early second or, or with one of their two day two picks, or do they wait, address other positions and take this guy in Carl Brooks, who also makes a ton of sense and honestly could be that developmental guy that you have again behind a Cameron Hayward and Larry Ogunjobi. Coming, uh, coming out of the season and into draft season, uh, I think most of us would, would agree that, man, there's no way this team's going to be interested in a center in, in, in the draft, but the further we've gotten into this thing and, and judging by, you know, pro days and visits and, and, and interest throughout the process. And even Tony Pauline, I think, uh, the draft uh, network wrote this, wrote this morning or yesterday, something to the effect of, uh, uh, he really thinks the Steelers will draft a center, uh, in this draft. Uh, let's, let's send this one out to, uh, uh, Josh and Joe, I guess. Uh, could you see this team indeed drafting a center? within the first four rounds. Uh, and if so, who, who potentially would that center be? Uh, I can absolutely see them drafting a center uh, as, as solid as Mason Cole was last year. I don't think he's your, your long-term building block uh, at center at this point. And I don't think there's a move to center for James Daniels coming at any point. Uh, this is a, this is a decent class overall. There's some names I certainly like. Uh, I do see it happening in the first four rounds. They've shown interest in Wisconsin's Joe Tipman. Obviously, there's been a lot of interest in John Michael Schmitz out of Minnesota. Uh, Jonathan was on him last summer. We had some conversations about this center class. Um, Joe and I saw Ricky Stromberg uh, out of Arkansas in person in Vegas. He was he was pretty impressive. He uh, our, our first impression when we saw him walk into the interview room was that man is a tank. Um, just broad shoulders, long arms. Good tape too. Obviously, the the, the Steelers took uh, Luke Whipler from Ohio State out to dinner at the pro day with Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. Uh, and then there's my personal favorite, uh, Olasegun Oluwatimi out of Michigan. Uh, God bless was, you. Yes, that was very hard to say. You would think, as much as I like <laughs> him, I would feel comfortable saying that, but it's uh, incredibly hard. Uh, but there's there's some guys here in the first you know four rounds that that could really sit a year behind Cole you know, upgrade the depth significantly from a JC Hassenauer the previous year, and then they could step in in 2024 and be that guy. Um, if I were to pick a guy that they are, are going to select, if I had to predict now, I think it would be John Michael Schmitz. Uh, Joe, I want to, did you have any thoughts on the center class there, Joe? I know uh, David did mention I mean, that. Josh, yeah, Josh, Josh basically covered, Josh basically covered everything. The only other name I'd throw out, and he's more of a guard, but he's centered capable as Steve Avila just because they host him for a top 30 visit. So if they have their mindset on taking a guy that can play center and you know the second or the third, I think Avila could be a name that uh that they look at. I, w- I was gonna ask you too, Joe, and, and this is kind of a bigger picture question, but sometimes I get nervous when things start to feel 
in place with the Steelers mock draft. Okay, they're going to go probably corner tackle early and then defensive line. Like, there's always that curveball. There's always that thing you don't expect in the draft, especially in a first year where you have a, a new GM and Omar Khan, a new assistant GM and Andy Weidel. I, I know it's so hard to predict because, you know, anything that's a surprise is a surprise and hard to predict by definition. But if you had to kind of guess a curveball in this draft at any point and say the top three rounds, where do you think it would be? I think it might just be in the, I would be in, I think it would go in the first because if you look, they have, they have the picks in the second and they have the two picks in the second, they have a pick in the third. I mean, they have, that's three picks they can use, you know, address like some serious depth. So if at 17, the board doesn't shake how they want, you know, yet some of the top corners off the board, some of the top tackles off the board, you're not really comfortable taking a Brian Breezy maybe at 17. So then where do you go? You can look and, I mean, they've been they've been um, open this offseason about their intention of building up the run game. Tomlin said it in Phoenix, uh, the owners' meetings. I mean, they could look at just signing small, signing Kerbig, adding to that. So if you don't want to take a tackle, then you can grab the best blocking tight end in the draft and take Darnell Washington, who they just had on a visit. He ex- expands your pass game as a second receiving option next to Fryermuth, and then you just add a maul a mauler of a blocking tight end who helps you in the run game. Helps you pick its development in the past game as just another threat as a tight end. Might might be the most talented player on the board at 17 at a position they could kind of maybe use some depth help if they don't want to go, you know, defensive line there. And they could go and address their needs in the second and know, like, comf- have, be comfortable knowing that they really improve their run game with a pick that maybe wasn't a traditional uh, position that they're expected to take in the first round. Sure. It's a great name to mention. And Jonathan, I want to ask you your thoughts on Darnell Washington coming in for a visit. Uh, just your thoughts overall. Is he worth the pick? You know, at 1732. I mean, how do you see that that fitting into Pittsburgh? Yeah, I immediately when Joe started talking about like the off the wall pick and I'm like, he's going to talk tight end. He's going to talk. <laughs> so it's just it's nice to have that kind of telepathy between it. But I would definitely thinking the same thing. I think 17 would be rich for Washington because while again just an absolute planet theory just ridiculous like size for the position and just what he brings to like the run game what he brings in the passing game he's still very like in terms of like his production and what he's done at the college level he's a little bit more of a projection in the sense of like especially as a receiver and it are you going to have Darnell Washington become, you know, your tight end one over Pat Fryermuth? If so, then maybe you justify the pick at 17. But if he's tight end two, I think it's harder to justify the pick at 17 rather than being able to pick like a corner or a, a tackle and then see if he's there and he's the best value, say at 32. I highly doubt he would fall to 49. Could have stranger things happen? Yes. But I think you're looking more with one of your two, day two picks. And I think that that's the mindset that the Steelers have kind of going into this being like, Hey, we have this physical specimen, this like planet theory guy that, you know, just there's not many of them walking around on the earth and he would be able to aid in what we want to do. But could we just see where the value of the board falls and say, depending on what they do at 17, they look at 32 and say, okay, the top tackles and the top corners are off the board. We grabbed our guy at 17 Darnell Washington is there. We could opt to take a player of a lower caliber or lower tier at this pick, or we could take Darnell Washington. I think, you know, you have players, you have teams like maybe the Bengals, they signed Irv Smith. They've been rumored to be very interested in a guy like Darnell Washington. Wouldn't like to see him against the Steelers twice a year. But I think overall, 32 is probably the sweet spot if they want to take him. 
that it would be at 32 and I would hedge more likely at 49 than 17. But I think you look for that sweet spot at 32 at the top pick in the second round. Do, do we, are we underselling or, or maybe overlooking Michael Mayer as well out of Notre Dame? I mean, obviously, um, you know, he didn't come in for a pre-draft visit. Tomlin and, and Khan weren't at the pro day. I know Dan, I think it was Dan Colbert was there. Um, yeah. Dan Colbert and Anthony Rooney were at the Notre Dame pro day, but He's I keep seeing him compared to Heath Miller, and I'm sure that's going to raise some eyebrows for Steeler fans. But uh, he's kind of that more polished player than than Washington at that position. A really good inline blocker legitimately catches everything. Could he kind of be that wild card as well at, at 17, even though that might be a little too rich? I think that's tough to see just because, like, obviously you played the Blues Coos game, and I don't think that, like, the top guys were there at, like, Notre Dame. So 17 might be tough. Should he be there at 32? Maybe. And, again, like, we're not dictated to playing the pro day with Con and, like, uh, Tomlin, depending on how things have gone in the past. But it is something that you have to consider. But you also just look at, like, the guys that they have shown interest in in, like, the fact of bringing in Washington for a visit and then also showing interest in, you know, having uh, the tight ends coach Alfredo Roberts say at like Penn state to talk to Brent and strange, or I think they were at Michigan to talk to uh, Schoonmaker. I think it's kind of one of those things where you have this complete opposite in Washington to complement what you have in your tight end one in Pat Fryermuth. Yes. I think Michael Mayer is a more well-rounded prospect, but at the same time, it's the Steelers wants to become this bully ball team. And while Fryermuth has potential to maybe develop a little bit more of a blocker his blocking is overall capped compared to someone like Washington where you could go ahead and draft a freaking Dewan Jones and then you could draft a Darnell Washington and you could put those two guys at the end of the line of scrimmage and be like okay we're gonna go ahead and run people over and I think that that's the mindset that they kind of want to have especially if they want to embrace this bully football on offense so I think being able to have a compliment like Washington and Fryermuth does yourself a lot of good. And if you don't have the ability to draft a guy like Washington, you can still upgrade or add talent at the position that can challenge or potentially unseat Zach Gentry with a guy like Schoonmaker, a guy like Strange later in the later rounds, just because of how deep this tight end class is. Let, let's 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 continue on on this tight end and let's uh, just kind of be a multi-tiered question that maybe you know all four of you can chime in on. A, why hasn't there? I I think Josh is on to something there in the fact that a why is there no conversation about Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame as a slam dunk? You know where where is he going? I guess where I'm getting at this is is there a possibility that a guy like Michael Mayer even falls down to 32 in this thing? Because we've seen tight ends. This is a deep tight end class overall, and you can make arguments that that another tight end or two might be taken off the board ahead of him. I think in 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 round one. So a why. Why is there no real talk? I mean, there's been talk, obviously, but why isn't a lot of first round talk been centered around Michael Mayer? And then adding on to that discussion there is, you know, obviously with the addition, I don't think a lot of people would give been, been given credence to the fact of the Steelers maybe taking a tight end in the first four rounds uh, ahead of them acquiring Allen Robinson. Uh, via a trade, which kind of shores up that wide receiver room a little bit more. Uh, why, sh- why should this team 
consider drafting a tight end within the first four rounds? I know it's a multi-layered kind of question there and chip away with it, whatever way you want, but start chiming in on, on all that. I'll, I'll jump in on mayor first. I think there's that top four, top five at the position that it really depends on the style you want at the position. I think mayor, I think he had the slowest 40 uh, of any tight end out of that top four at the combine. I know he had the shortest arms and the smallest hands. So that could push him out of the first round compared to guys like Dalton Kincaid, you know, Luke Musgrave, and obviously Washington, who uh, JH said is just an absolute freak. Um, but, but Mayer, I think is, is the most complete package uh, at the position in this class. It sure would be fun if he fell out of the first round and was sitting there at 32. Uh, Cause I think there's a, a pretty clear fit there. Um, but as far as this team needing to draft a tight end in the first four rounds, uh, or if they should, I, I definitely think they should, if they want to, you know, lean into this 12 personnel more heavily like they did in the second half last season. Uh, Gentry's just on that one-year deal. I think it's the same deal that, that Terrell Edmonds signed last offseason. Uh, Dave, I think you laid that out in a post recently. I, I don't think him being back on that one-year deal blocks them from taking a tight end. I thought Gentry at times last year was was a decent blocker. He certainly took some steps forward, but if you really want this offense to lean into that 12 personnel and, and pound the rock on the ground, you've got to try and upgrade uh, at the position from a blocking standpoint. And there are some guys uh, in, in this class that can certainly be that upgrade. Uh, Schoonemaker from Michigan was a good blocker. They've obviously had interest in him. Uh, there's Brenton Strange. He's got some some really good tape. I'm curious to see where he goes. I've seen him, you know, fourth round the whole way to – uh, undrafted uh, in certain areas. Uh, I think they saw Davis Allen from Clemson up close at the pro day. So there's there's certainly options here uh, that they could go after to help solidify that position. Uh, I know obviously in the last few years, they've addressed it in the draft, whether it was Fryermuth or Gentry or obviously Connor Hayward last year, but um, they need that dominant run blocker to kind of handle those bigger players on the edge. And I don't think they have that right now. So uh, there's some pieces in this draft that, that could certainly be the role moving forward. And I think that they have to take a swing on that, whether that's in the third or fourth round, just based off of the identity they want to have offensively. Tom, you want to jump in on the tight end talk here? You're muted, Tom. Yeah, uh, I did the report on Schoonmacher, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised by his ability to block. He's listed at 6'5", 251. He's got room to add some weight, but he positions himself so well, plays with, uh, you know, the, the great pad level. He's got active hands. He's not just trying to latch on and hold on. He's constantly fighting. Uh, he climbs to the second level. He uh, blocks in space. They used him at fullback as well. Um, like Josh said, if they're going to commit to the running game, they need someone who's going to be a blocker, and he'll walk in and be the best blocking tight end on the team right away. As far as uh, the receiving side goes, he wasn't um, as productive as you might like to see in college. Uh, I think some of that had to do with anticipation of the quarterback, you know, waiting to see him get open rather than leading him open. But uh, they used him on all three levels. He, he's got good hands. He kind of fights the low throws, but other than that, he's pretty good. And, uh, you know, he's got four, six, three speed, so he can he, he can move after the catch. Um, I think he's definitely uh, someone they could add 
Uh, I have him as a third round pick. I think that's the third, fourth round is right where his range is. And I think he could definitely be um, someone they uh, attach themselves to. Anybody else want to jump in on either mayor or this team potentially drafting a tight end in the first four rounds? Okay. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, just trying to find that that body type. If you want to challenge Gentry to be that blocker, you got to find somebody that, that has that size, that inline blocking that can be a bit tougher to do at the college level. But we'll see. I think the names being mentioned here are certainly worth mentioning. I want to talk about a different position, one that you know I, I probably should have talked about early, earlier here in this podcast, but edge rusher. What's behind TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith? Right now, it's not a whole lot of known, and we kind of had the assumption for a while that oh bud dupree will come back and of course he goes to atlanta and so pittsburgh has not shown a lot of obvious interest in in the edge class a couple of guys have come in a mix of early round candidates and and later round guys and so um jonathan i'll start with you you know who are some potential edge targets because there don't seem to be a lot of obvious names and i don't feel like this is a great class overall for what pittsburgh looks for when it comes to those three four stand up outside linebackers yeah, so the one thing that I keep kind of going back toward is the theme that we're going to continue to prove the offensive and defensive line, the trenches, right? And oftentimes when you think of the defensive line, you think of nose tackle, you think of three tech, four eye, you have to realize with like Pittsburgh's sister, the system that they run their defense, their outside linebackers are basically glorified stand-up defensive ends. And you think about where Andy Weidel comes from in Philadelphia, where they were able to run eight deep on that defensive line and just send wave after wave. We look at what they've done so far this offseason, adding guys like Armand Watts, Brandon Fajoko, again, not long-term solutions, but paired with them with Montrevious Adams, having all three of those guys playing at the nose tackle spot. I think you're going to be able to mix and match those guys and be able to get those snaps of like what 30 to 35% for a nose tackle being able to have guy, they reads up a guy like Larry Ogunjobi and being able to have him stop, start opposite Cam Hayward, being able to still have guys like, you know, DeMarvin Leal, does he factor in on the edge? Is he kind of this versatile guy that plays inside outside guys like Isaiah Laudermilk, so on and so forth. But you look at that edge position, and granted, they brought back Kinsey Woshe. They don't have any proven depth or upside outside of their stars in TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. And losing Watt, obviously, you'll never be able to make up for his loss and his impact on the field. But they were severely hurt in the fact that they had to go to a guy like Malik Reed when Watt was out. And you look at this edge class, and that's where, again, I can say, like what you said. Alex, how this edge class maybe not has a lot of like natural fits at that three, four outside linebacker, but I will say that it is a very, very deep edge class with anywhere from 13 to 15 names that deserve third round grades and up. And you look at the guys that are there that they've shown interest in. They, I mean, obviously you have Nolan Smith, who is kind of that tweener, but at the same time, like he is a possible guy to consider you know, I think 17 is way too rich. I did his draft profile. He's a very raw player who's also coming off of a pec tear. I'd be more comfortable with him on day two, but I don't think he lasts that long. I think two guys that you really have to put three guys, you really have to put in the crosshairs for a potential early edge is Will McDonald from Iowa state, Felix Enaduke Uzoma from Kansas state. And then I would say Derek Hall from Auburn. 
just because you have all three of those guys kind of in that anywhere from probably late 30s to like 50, 60 range in just terms of overall ranking. I think that one of those three guys could easily be in play at 49. Say the Steelers decide to go tackle and corner and then maybe take the best edge rusher rather than saying reaching on, say, like a defensive line or a tight end at 49. Take that premier edge rusher that, you know, some teams may have of like an early second round grade just because there's so much depth. Add that quality pass rusher that can, you know, not only come in and be able to give TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith breathers, not only be that injury insurance, but also maybe finding packages where you can deploy all three on third and long situations. I think it makes a lot of sense being able to build up this pass rush, not only to protect yourself in the case of injury, but also adding premium talent and adding great players, knowing that all three of those options are great pass rushers. Yeah, I'm with you on Derek Hall. I just wish this team had some more visible interest in him. And and they, you know, they, they were at McDonald's Pro Day. They did bring in Anaduke Uzama for a visit. So so that makes sense. If I, if I could ask Omar Khan one question, I would ask him, what is the Marvin Leal's weight? I just want to know. And I, I know that he had said, you know, that, he, that they view him as a versatile guy. And, and so maybe they're feeling more comfortable there if they feel like he can be uh, some edge depth and they may go sign a veteran the way that they did Melvin Ingram. Um, two years ago, hopefully with you know a, a better ending. But I just, D- Dave, I, I want to just go back to you really quickly. Just your thoughts with this edge class because it feels like there's a hole there, but there's some question marks, and you're just trying to see how all the pieces are going to fit. Yeah, and, and I'm with you. I mean, you right out of the shoot were on Derek Hall, and I, 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 I thought for sure we'd see a little bit more presence or or uh, than what was there at that pro day. Uh, I, I like Anaduke Uzama out of Kansas State, but. But the concern there, it, you get more of, I think, a, a, a Jason Worlds feel, feel with him uh, from the fact that he did not play on his feet uh, very much at all at Kansas State. I mean, Tyler Wise, he's he's huge on 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 Uzama. So I could and obviously they brought him in. So there's a fit there. Uh, you know, Tula Tula Poloto out of USC. Uh, obviously there's been some interest there, uh, which did any of you guys watch any of Isaiah McGuire out of Missouri? And, and because he kind of, he kind of fits what they look for. Plus I think he's like not even 20, 22 years of age yet. Uh, talk, did, did either of you guys watch Isaiah McGuire and another guy, uh, and I have talked about this several times after learning the difference in the two Byron Youngs. But the Byron Young out of Tennessee looks like he, I mean, he's a little undersized height-wise, just like Derek Hall is out of out of Auburn there. But, uh, you know, some fourth-round potential there. So fill in the blanks on for me on a guy specifically like McGuire, if any of you have watched him. Just real quick, I did the report on McGuire. It was a okay. while ago. I feel like I have to go back and, and reread that report. But he was—he's a big guy. He's got uh, leverage, power. I thought he had better bend, you know, bending through contact than I expected for a guy of that frame. I put more third, fourth round kind of grade on him. I know Byron Young from Tennessee. I have not watched. You guys can can jump in. I know that he's a bit older prospect, kind of a bit raw mm-hmm. still. So I don't know, you know, what to make of that when a guy that's older and still kind of has some things to work on. Anybody else want to chime in on a couple of those middle, middle, middle edge guys? 
Yeah, I did the profile on Byron Young from Tennessee. And again, very explosive, very twitchy. And he just has a motor that just doesn't stop. But again, his hand usage is very raw when it comes to being a pass rusher. He likes to run the yard and he wins a lot on slants and stunts and twists and things of that nature. And just winning with second and third effort rather than winning with quote unquote clean sacks like we like to talk about when we're watching pass rushers trying to get defeat blocks and get to the quarterback. So he, like his athleticism may get him pushed up boards, but the fact that he's already like 25 years old, he still needs to develop that hand usage. Uh, he's decently stout. He's pretty stout against the run, but there's points in times where he is a little undersized. So he will get overwhelmed by size and by power. I see him more as like that fourth round option just that way, instead of looking at like from rose colored glasses with his athleticism, just looking where he has at now as more of that backup rotational guy that is in a similar light to Quincy Roche and can kind of battle to be that edge three, edge four. And then when it kind of goes to Felix Aduke Ozama, Dave, when we're talking about him in terms of planning with his hand, the dirt, a majority of the time, yes, Jason Wills did that. But we also look at like a guy like Lamar Woodley, who was just a base defensive end at Michigan when he started his career was a Steelers second round pick back when he got drafted. They stood him up. And I would rec- I would probably say Felix Ededuke Ozama is more of that leaner frame that kind of more matches what that prototypical 3-4 outside linebacker is than what Woodley was kind of being a bigger stout body coming out. So I think when ta- I talked to Felix at the combine, he talked to me saying like, are you standing up? That was my first question to him. Are you standing up? Are you working on these things? Are you, he's like, yeah, I'm working on these things. I'm working on standing up. I'm working on playing on in with my hand in the dirt. I'm working on all my drops. I'm going through all these different things. So he knows that this is a question that teams are asking him more specifically, probably the Steelers as well too, just based off their scheme and their system. So he knows that's the question that's going to be asked of him. So I just think because he didn't do it at Kansas state based on the type of defense that they played, doesn't mean he can't do it at the NFL level. And teams are not going to look at Uzama as as probably a base uh, as a four three base in right. I mean, he's a little at at, at two fifty five. Normally, you see those guys are like two seventy or or, or or something like that. And he is six three, so he's not in that prime six four six five area there as well too. And plus, he's got you know age on his size. Uh, on his side as well, too, not even being, uh, you know, still bit just uh, over the age of 21. Whereas a guy like Will McDonald, I think, is coming up on 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 24 years of age. So it it, it does. And look, I, I I love his tape. You know, once again about Uzama and and talked about him. You know, uh, months ago coming out of coming out of that bowl uh, all star game and all like that. Uh, I just you know the the biggest thing that I that I've had to overcome is him not playing on his, on his feet as much there. So I, I, I do think that if they were to take one in like a third or fourth round that Uzama could uh, potentially be the guy, I think McDonald's potential being a guy, even though uh, Derek Hall, they haven't shown much interest in him. I think he could uh, 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 fit the mold there. And, you know, this team does have to, it, it feels like this team has to spend, well, not has to, but should really, really think about spending, you know, a third or fourth round pick on 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 an edge. The one name that I keep kind of circling here late in the process is a name that I kind of highlighted uh, heading into the the Shrine Bowl, and that's Mississippi State's Tyrus Wheat. Um, he he's certainly undersized at six oh two oh, but he's two hundred sixty three pounds. Really, really productive uh, in in the SEC. I think he had twenty seven tackles for a loss, just under twenty sacks. 
uh, and I think he had 35 career starts uh, with Mississippi State. Uh, he was he originally went there as a safety, moved down to linebacker, and then his last two years at Mississippi State, uh, he put on weight and, and played on the edge. Uh, Joe and I saw him in Vegas. I know that Joe and I kind of talked about him entering the week of practice. He didn't really stand out in practice, but I think he's more of a, a you know a game guy than you know those glorified one-on-one drills and all that. He just his demeanor. Uh, I talked to him, sat down, had a fifteen-minute interview with him. His demeanor is very James Harrison-like, all business, kind of standoffish, not in a bad way. Uh, but I felt like I was doing a lot of the talking, asking questions, and he uh, short answers, all ball, um, you know, not really letting people get insight into him. But his tapes, his tape is quite intriguing. He can move all over. Uh, his motor runs hot constantly. Uh, he's just a physical player. He's that that short, squatty uh, type of guy, and a lot of similar measurables to to Alex Highsmith, who obviously the Steelers drafted in the third round in 2020. So that's kind of a guy I have circled for maybe that fourth round pick, but even with him as your third outside linebacker entering 2023, I still don't have a great feel for the depth there behind those two. But but Wheat is certainly uh, an intriguing guy for me as far as a developmental piece goes. Uh, Tom, real quick, uh, Lucas Van Ness and Keon White. Alex and I just recently circled back uh, in some podcasts to, to, to talk about those two. Uh, can you see either one of those guys fitting in what, what the Steelers do? Uh, my, my impression is no physically the way they're built, they look much more of the four, three N type player. Um, I, it just doesn't seem scheme wise, uh, what the Steelers like to do now. They've, they've tried to shoehorn guys in the past couple of years with, with guys like Leal. Uh, but, uh, you know, they seem uh, much more comfortable, you know, with the, the in the hand in the dirt and you know kicking inside on you know passing downs on an even front. So I I would not put them either of them high on the list. I do think. I mean, could Keon White though be that base end? I mean, he's I, the, the body type seems a little slimmer, but I mean, what is he six five six six two eighty five like thirty four inch arms? I mean, in terms of the frame, the guys they look for. I mean, that's generally like as close as you're going to get in this modern age of, of college football defense. Yeah. And I think you said on the podcast that you, you think he can add some pounds there. Like he, he has a frame that can hold it. So it's, you know, it's possible they could look at him uh, inside, but uh, in my opinion, I think he's uh, better off in an even front. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, running out of time here. I, I, I want to get to, to one, at least one other position here, quarterback, and it's not my favorite topic. Well, I, to talk make sure about. to hit wide receiver real quick too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. For sure. Uh. But but to go to quarterback because this team could add a quarterback. They've had some interest in some of these day three type guys and Clayton Toon from Houston and Jaron Hall from BYU. You guys know my thoughts on day three quarterbacks. Don't do it. But Josh, I'll start with you. You know, who are some options there? Is it Toon? Is it Hall? I hear those guys feel like more maybe fourth fifth rounders, but quarterbacks can can fall sometimes. So who are some of those potential? seventh round quarterback options for Pittsburgh. Uh, I'll throw out three names here. Obviously, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA. They showed interest in him uh, at the Shrine Bowl. He was the the first player that mentioned he met with the Steelers out there, had a pretty solid week. Uh, Max Duggan from TCU kind of fits that, you know, that experienced starter toughness, 
uh, kind of backup role you're looking for. The one name, though, that I've kind of come on to, well, I should say two names that I've come on to here uh, in recent weeks. I really kind of like the tape that Sean Clifford from Penn State had, especially this year. I know he had a, a rocky career at Penn State, was very up and down. Uh, but he's on the older side, has a ton of starts under his belt. He's he's athletic, tough as all nails. Uh, I, I think he could be kind of that sixth, seventh round guy. I did give him a higher grade than that, but I just think he might fall. And then uh, one guy that um, Alex, you talked to, uh, and I also talked to as well, and I'm actually finishing up the report on him, is Gannon's um, Corey Curtis. That guy is is intriguing. I think he definitely has a, a draftable grade. And I think it could be the same situation the Steelers were in last year with uh, Chris Alatakun, where you, you you don't want to get into that bidding war uh, in, in undrafted free agency with these guys. So maybe you spend that 251st overall pick that they got in the pick swap with the Rams on that developmental third quarterback. It might not be the best use uh, of an asset there, um, but I, I'd rather do that and ensure I have a guy I like as my quarterback three rather than uh, hoping he takes a contract offer that we, you know, that the Steelers could potentially give him uh, in free agency. Yeah. And Curtis was Ohio State to Bryant to Gannon. So, a pretty crazy journey there, but was really productive uh, the last two years for Gannon. Like Dave mentioned, Joe, I'll, I'll ask you this receiver class. I know that we've kind of, fans and myself included as well, have kind of brushed aside the idea of receiver now that Allen Robinson, that trade officially uh, announced by the Steelers today. But, you know, Robinson likely to be in Pittsburgh for only one season. So is it short-sighted to say that receivers off the table and, you know, putting that on the table, who are some guys, let's say maybe some day three names, that wide receiver that would fit Pittsburgh? Yeah, the one day, the one day three name, not D3, that I really couldn't shake and still, still having trouble shaking is Charlie Jones out of Purdue. I mean, the guy she was just so productive last year. He's got the ability to uh, return kicks and punts, which the Steelers don't really have a guy right now who could do without Steven Sims out. So I think, and I know you threw uh, Malik Knowles too from Kansas State. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they take a guy, maybe now it's not. I think Jones is probably more of a fourth round prospect. But now, you know, if they take a guy in the seventh, I know Thayer Thomas was a guy they met with. He's another guy who can return kicks and punts. To get a guy who can, you know, maybe add some depth at receiver, but also be the team's primary return man because with Steven Sims out of the picture, I mean, they still have, got, they still have Olszewski, but after last season, I don't really see them going back to him and giving him any sort of big role on special teams. And I, don't, I mean, obviously, James Pierre is not going to be the guy to get it done. So bringing in a rookie in the seventh round who can, you know, kind of compete for that job right off the bat as some is like in a Thomas or a Knowles, I think is probably uh, more likely than taking it. Uh, the Jones or somebody else in the fourth, but I mean, anything can happen. I mean, I, de- I definitely don't think the position's completely off the board. I think they're going to take a guy, um, just probably not as high priority. Like I, I know like Josh Downs is a guy that was a pretty popular mock to them in the second. Um, I mean, Cedric Tillman, another one and Jonathan Mingo, but I don't think, I, I don't necessarily think they're going to spend on that caliber of player, but I mean, they could with, and just kind of give them a red shirt year, I guess with Robinson, are they going to be in for a year? So, I mean, anything's possible, but I just think it's more uh, more likely they spend it later in the draft than earlier. Is there any any of you that think uh, there's a high chance, let's say, I don't know, greater than 65% chance, just throwing out a random number, that this team drafts a wide receiver in the first four rounds? I wouldn't put it quite that high, but... 
their history says they like that second and third round receiver. So if they were going to take a, like a Mingo up there, it wouldn't shock me at all. Okay. I think looking at it as well too, one name that I kind of go back to a little bit, obviously Mingo being that third round kind of guy. I think if they hit their basis in terms of addressing the offensive and defensive lines kind of in the corner position, like we're kind of seeing the trend follow if they get to that fourth round and Tyler Wise is going to love me saying Jaden Reed's on the board in the fourth round, I think that that's a guy that they would possibly run to the table and basically take at that fourth round pick just to be able to, he's inside outside versatile. He has special teams background. He can actually play in the slot. He can play outside. Deontay Johnson is under contract. They just trade for Allen Robinson, but he can just develop as that number four, number five with Calvin Austin. If you can have a wide receiver core of, Pickens of Deontay of Allen Robinson of Calvin Austin third and Jaden Reed. And then depending on what you do with Allen Robinson after 2023, obviously Deontay Johnson's under a contract extension, albeit not a long contract extension. Jaden Reed could be that wide receiver you bring in that develops and is waiting in the wings to be able to be that young guy that you can possibly pair with like Calvin Austin and Pickens for years to come. Yeah, uh, I know Tyler and I both big fans of Jaden Reed watching him at the Senior Bowl. My last question here to finish these things out, uh, finish the conversation out for you guys. I was going to ask, give me your your one name at 17, but then I might be spoiling some future mock drafts. And I want everybody listening to go uh, read your mock drafts. So I'm going to put it this way. And Josh, I'll start with you. Give me the two names you're kind of most thinking about at pick 17. So we'll have to click your mock draft to see who your actual answer is. But give me like, the two names you're kind of competing with to to decide which one should be the pick at 17 in terms of what you think will happen. Oh, um, I'm leaning Dornell Wright and Deontay Banks. I know obviously Deontay Banks, it doesn't line up with the pro day stuff and all that, but um, that's, that's kind of where I, I'm leaning right now uh, debating those two. I don't think, Joey Porter Jr. will be there on the board. I don't think those other big three tackles will be there. Uh, so that's that's where I'm leaning right now. That's where my head is at. And and like you said, I'll have my final mock uh, out early next week. Okay, Joe, same to you. Give me two, or maybe even the podium. Give me like one, two, three of the, like the top three names you're kind of considering as finalists to be that guy at 17. Not to sound like a broken record, but I was with Josh that my two, so I'll add a third. So because right in banks are my two, just the way I think the board's going to shake out. Um, I think a third I'll add is Breezy, just because he really fits, you know, the hearts and smarts that they look for. Um, he's got the prior relationship with Tomlin. He was a big-time recruit, played in a big-time program. Um, even though his tape isn't super, super impressive, he's a guy that, you know, they think they can work with and get a lot out of him. I mean, he's obviously he's a phenomenal person. His character's through the roof. Um, wouldn't hate having him in Pittsburgh. So I think he's definitely a guy that is probably more under consideration at 17 than we've kind of accounted for in recent months. So he would probably be, outside of Banks and Wright, you would probably be the third guy I have on that list. Okay, uh, fair enough. Good point there, Tom. Same question to you. Yeah, in no particular order, I'll give you... Uh, Broderick Jones, I, whether he falls to that spot or they go up and get him, I think he's definitely a possibility. Uh, <clears throat> Brian Brzee is also, you know, again, the hearts and smarts, the uh, player they're going to like. He he can fill that position 
behind Hayward and and grow in, into the spot. And for the third name, I'll go. I'll go with Brian Branch. Um, he's he fills a need. He's uh, an intelligent player. They've had success with you know the an Alabama uh, safety before, so um, I think he's definitely on board. All right, Jonathan. Yeah, so I was going to include both uh, Brand or uh, what was Deontay Banks and then also Darnell Wright. But then the one guy that I keep kind of going back to it a little bit, and again, it's kind of like the question: oh, Will he be there? And you know, just knowing that they have so many different like possibilities, they can go cornerback or tackle. But I just think. You know, looking at last year when we analyzed the quarterback position, like we knew they were going to take a quarterback. We just didn't know which one. Like mm-hmm. I know a bunch of us were interested in just the enamor, like the enamor factor of like Malik Willis, but it just made so much sense to just stay in home in house with Kenny Pickett. And then you look at like just what they've shown with like Najee Harris. You look at just the interest that they've shown with other guys in the past. I think that if he's there and he's like available for them to take, I think Joey Porter Jr. would be the pick. Like, to be honest, like I what that's the question if he is there. But I think if he is over a guy like Banks, just because of all the connections, all the interest, the need, the fit for the need, everything like that. I think it's just it makes too much sense. It's just a matter if he's there or not. So I think 17, should he be there? I think that's a pick that they make. Let, let, let's end this with a true or false real quick related, related to Joey Porter Jr. True or false? Uh, Joey Porter Jr. will be drafted. One of the first six, you know, uh, true or false, Joey Porter will still be on the board at 17 overall. False. 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 True. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. All right, Dave, any final thoughts? No, I just uh, appreciate all the work that you guys have uh, put in throughout this thing. And uh, uh, you know, I, I know several of you have gone to the uh, uh, all-star games and all like that. And Tom, we'd look to maybe get you to one of these here in the future as well, too. Uh, the draft profiles have really helped me learn a lot about these guys throughout the process that you guys have written and all. And just uh, really have enjoyed uh, watching you guys learn about these prospects to help me learn about the prospects as well, too. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And I just looked at the numbers last night. I believe we are right at our goal of 256 draft profiles. So you guys did a fantastic job there to to get those out there at the end. Cannot thank you guys enough. We'll certainly have you guys on after the draft to get your thoughts on what will be a very eventful uh, last week of April for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So appreciate your guys' time. Uh, We'll take a pause and come back with the rest of the show. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our thanks to Josh, Joe, Jonathan, and Tom for the uh, discussion. Really good discussion with all those guys and just uh, their great work this entire draft season. I'm really happy and proud that we're going to hit our goal of at least 256 uh, player profiles before the draft. And so hopefully we'll have almost all of our bases covered whenever the picks come in uh, over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we, we can't thank these guys enough. And, and obviously the guys in this round table and, 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 and Tyler Wise and Owen and Ross McCorkle and, uh, who else is part of that, uh, uh, draft? Yeah, Jacob Harrison's Jacob done a Harrison. good job. Yeah, yeah, so the whole team. Tom, you know, and obviously Tom was Tom Mead was in 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 this round table and all. And uh, look, if you're listening to this and and you have a background, you know, 
you think you have an understanding of how to how to break down tape and think that you can write up profiles. Obviously, we're winding down uh, this offseason when it comes to that. Uh, next offseason, we might be looking to add one or two members to the team. And it's, it obviously is a paid position by by profile there. So don't be afraid to reach out to us and send us some of your work. Obviously, we would like to see uh, your work as an example to kind of look at your football knowledge and, and ability to do this. But I uh, just want to kind of throw out early that uh, if you if you know, if you think you have have a good background in this and you think you might want to join the Steelers Depot team, uh, reach out to Alex or myself and we'll, we'll, we'll have a look at your work. Yeah, always considering talented people that will bring value to the site. One other draft-related note here before we begin wrapping things up, Dave. Just have a, a, a shameless plug, uh, interview I did with Garrett Kokab, the nose tackle from Carroll College. I know it's a small school, but Pittsburgh has shown interest in him. They specifically asked Kokab to be at the Montana Pro Day that took place earlier this month. Um, he's a big Steelers fan. He's got Pittsburgh ties, and his tape actually is pretty impressive so i talked to him have that interview up on the site for you guys to check out any other thoughts or anything else dave you wanted to discuss yeah tell people real quick about your walk the mock the other night yeah it was uh it was it was interesting um it was against the computer did all seven rounds and so i, I thought it turned out really well like obviously i don't expect this thing to actually you know happen on, on on the real draft day but to get to get paris johnson at pick 17 is, is pretty absurd and then we got uh, Darnell Washington at 32, and then I think Julius Brents. And it, I thought overall it was a, a a pretty strong draft class. Yeah, and if you missed that, uh, it's both up on SteelersDepot.com. You can watch it there, or you can go to Alex Kazora's uh, YouTube channel and and watch that. You have the patience of Job. You were made <laughs> you you were made to do that, uh, and you, I think you finally figured out how to do polls. Uh, yeah, on, look at on, me. Yeah, uh, you were really progressing there, old man. And uh, uh, it just it turned out real. You have a lot more patience uh, uh, doing doing that uh, walk the muck stuff than I do. And we'll do it. Thank you. We'll do it one more time. I had made mention of because it was against the computer. Not not quite as fun to do it against the CPU than it is actual people. I have uh, I was able to get into a mock for Saturday night, I think around 8, 820 p.m., um, it's seven rounds. I probably won't do all seven rounds because I'll be there forever, but I'll probably hop in to do, I don't know, the first two, three rounds and just kind of see how it goes for Pittsburgh. So I'll probably do kind of a short mini live stream on, uh, on that come Saturday night. All right. Look forward to that. All right, Dave, let's get through some reader emails and close out today's show. Boy, action packed sh- show today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we got here in the email machine? Up here on the email machine. We have Brian Tolini writes in, Dave and AK, six six days, guys. Uh, where does safety fall in terms of compared to our other needs, in your opinion? Any names you're looking at past Brian Branch? So where does safety fall in terms of compared to our other needs, in your opinion? I think when it comes to true, true safety and uh, outside of Brian Branch, you're saying who's who's really probably more of a slot uh, corner, uh, as far as need goes with, with them re-signing, uh, Casey and adding, uh, 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 Kiana Neal, it, 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 it's not over overly high. I wouldn't think however, comma, uh, who was it? Anthony Johnson. I was talking about out of Iowa state, mm-hmm. uh, would, would, and I don't know where he's going to go in this thing. He feels like he could go. He he he's another Herbig for me. 
Uh, I, it feels like he could go anywhere from fourth to early seventh. I, I think right. because remember, uh, Anthony Johnson out, 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 out of Iowa state was a cornerback and then he moved to safety, uh, his last year at Iowa state really, really did good in that transition there. Uh, I, the Steelers, I think, really like him. Uh, he really is post his post combine uh, interview. He said he uh, the Steelers talked specifically how they would use him. If, uh, I think if if they drafted him, and he becomes a very very intriguing guy for this team, especially if they were to pick up like a fifth or fourth or fifth round pick in this thing somehow, you know. Uh, but overall, I think you would agree with me, safety. A uh, 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 strong safety in general does not seem to be very high on the needs option. I mean, there's some band-aids there with Neil, who's kind of that classic box type. And of, of course, re-signing DeMonte Casey, who can wear a couple different hats. But, you know, long term, what's your outlook on that? It's, it's pretty shaky. So I still it's been lessened and there are some options there. But I feel like you still want to have an eye on that. I just think it's a really bad safety class. And so to try to find that name has been difficult to do, especially once you, of course you get past Brian branch, who's a little bit later to play that, that strong safety role with Anthony Johnson. When he was playing corner, was it, was it slot? Was it outside? Was he kind of mixing? I think he moved around a little bit in there. If I, it's been a while since I, I I went into, I'll tell you this. I, I had to, after after doing all that work that I did on him right after that Iowa State Pro Day, I had to step away from it a little bit because I was felt myself having a bias towards him. Okay. Uh, because I've talked several times that there's not many kids in this class that I'm really, you know, over the top enamored with and all like that. And I wouldn't call him a draft crush or anything like that. But I, but uh, him, Herbig, uh, Schoonmacher. There, there's several that I'm highly, highly intrigued about, and he is on that list uh, overall. And I think just a super clean uh, prospect character and all like that. You haven't done the safety what they look for uh, uh, thing yet. Will, will you no, get I did. I did. Oh, you, oh, you did? Let um, me look up the names. I think he might have been on that list. Let me let me pull it back up here to, to confirm. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if he – I can't remember if he did everything. I think he did everything at the combine. I'm pretty sure he's in our one box away. Let me pull up the list. The safeties who hit everything was Connor from Virginia Tech, Meriwether from Iowa, and Daniel Scott from Cal. One box away, only two names. It was Javarius Owens from Houston and Anthony Johnson from Iowa State. He missed in the bench. He did it only at 12 reps, so, but he's – close to checking every single box. And with him being a converted cornerback, probably not too surprising, right? Yeah, typically more athletic, but even just having the size requirements too and you know some of those things, um, it, it's good to see that affirmed by the study. Okay, so I, you know once again, uh, I, I view him as anywhere from, I don't know, fourth to sixth round type of guy because of that position move and all like that might drop him down a little bit. Uh, I could see the students having interest in him later in the draft. Uh, uh, put you know, potentially there. So, uh, but once again, I, I, unless we're talking about a, a guy like Brian Branch early, who's really more slot than he is anything else. I don't think we're going to be talking about safety, at least in the first four rounds when it comes to a Steelers pick. 
Yeah, I just think I think it's a there's a potential for need there, but just the class does not really justify it. But I think if you could find that strong safety who could also come down and play over slot is ideal because again, I think the most underrated need for this team, and we touched on it during the round table, is slot corner. Like so much of the focus has been on the outside guys, and I get that it is something to 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 need and address. But slot corner, there is a big vacancy there, and you can't just have Cam Sutton plugged in and filling it this year because he's now in Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. All right, what else do we have here, Dave, in terms of the email machine? Okay, let's see here. I lost my spot. Uh, Eric writes in, gentlemen, greetings from San Diego. Like all, uh, first of all, San Diego, man, I had, you know, I want to get back there real quick because there is this, uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was a Pacific, uh, be one of these fish markets over there. Uh, I wish I could remember the name right off the top. You would think I'd have it on the tip of my tongue there, but, uh, man, amazing, uh, uh, fish over there that we really enjoyed dining with. So moving on from my, uh, tour guide, uh, <laughs> what's that name of that company that does all those tours that you can sign up for? I forget. Anyway, uh, greetings from San Diego. Like all other emailers, I love and actively promote everything Yins do. Also not missed a single podcast in over 10 years and can remember arranging my work days around the 11 a.m. Pacific time airings of the terrible podcast. Uh, uh, So we appreciate that. Uh, As Alex alluded to on the Wednesday podcast, I wonder if we are all missing the boat when it comes to the tackle position, the Steelers might draft To, to the point do they value Dan Moore Jr. more than we all do, or perhaps even more than they value Chiquamo Core for? And per dollar paid, are they right? Uh, the tackles they seem to be most interested in project more as right tackles than left tackles, but the confusion with that has been centered around why would they want to shuffle the offensive line by then moving Chooks back to left tackle and plugging in the blank pick at right tackle, but what if the plan is instead to replace the $10 million per season chooks with a rookie? Your thoughts? He says, keep on kicking all of your com- com- your competitors, uh, if you even consider them that, but so, uh, a nice email, Eric, we appreciate that. And, uh, look that, uh, we are, I told my wife, I, we're going to get back over to San Diego there, uh, fairly soon. To, <laughs> if anything, visit that restaurant. Uh, Look, you make good points here, Eric, overall, and I think that's a lot of where personally my hang-up has been when it comes to the tackle class specifically this year and what the Steelers might do. Uh, Darnell Wright, uh, he has played a little bit of left tackle, but it seems at the NFL level best suited at right tackle. You have Dewan Jones that, that's specifically been a right tackle. Can he move over there? Uh who else? Uh, Alex? I mean, they've looked at both. I mean, looked at, you know, Broderick Jones came in, right. Anton Harrison came in. Those were left tackles. You know, they didn't bring in Paris Johnson, but they were at the pro day. So was Pat Myers. So they've, they've looked at both. I would say the, the top end left and right tackles, really all the top offensive tackles in general. They've been investigating. I, I'll tell you this about Chooks. He, he, unless they trade him, uh, which I, I, I think would be foolish right now. Uh, he, he's not going anywhere, and especially once he got past his roster bonus date. Chooks is, I mean, they didn't sign him last offseason to the contract they did to to deal him away, in my opinion there. Uh, he is going to play, he's going to start the season at one of the two tackle spots there. I'm, I'm, I'm 99.9% uh, sure of that, barring injury there. Uh, we have had discussions that 
do they value Dan Moore Jr. more than the rest of us do? I would say yes to they value a core for and more more than the vast majority of Steelers Nation. And that's, I think, the reason why they're looking at the top-end guys. They're basically sitting there saying, okay, if we can get a top-end type of dude, uh, Jones, Johnson, Wright, whoever, then we're going to look at that. But if we can't do that, they've not done really any homework on the mid-round tackles or later-round tackles. They may end up taking one at some point, but the focus has been on the top-end of this class. And so I think that's the way they've approached this thing. Um, yeah, core force going to start this year. Could they look towards you know, replacing them for next year? You know, that's possible. Um, but if you're going to draft a tackle early, generally speaking, they're getting on the field early. They're not guys that are going to sit and wait around and, and come off the bench and start in year two. So that's kind of been the, uh, the point that I've, I've wrestled with. Okay. Uh, let's see. Moving right along here. We have Blake writes in. Hi, Alex and Dave. First, thank you for the great content because of your podcast and posts of, uh, that I have fewer football questions every day and your podcast is maybe off season, the most enjoyable part. Thank you for that. Uh, how does the drafting of players impact the time of cutting of players on the back end of the roster, especially in regard to this year's draft? He says that the Steelers draft Darnell Washington, Mayer, or Kincaid at 32 or 49. Does that mean Gentry will be released early in this offseason or at final cutdown? Same with Benton and Montravius Adams or Tipman and Green. Is it just a courtesy thing, a contract thing, blah, blah, blah? Could you give some examples of who might get cut early if the Steelers address that position early in the draft and who would stay on the roster until the last last possible uh, moment? Uh, great question, Blake from Baltimore. Uh, he's uh, I, And I get where he's coming from on this. I think you look at guys that could, that could perceivably be cut not long after the draft I think really you could probably or be gone in one way, shape, or form, uh, not but during the draft or not long after the draft. I think you have two names there. I think it's a Keller Witherspoon, and it's uh, Kevin uh, uh, Kevin Dotson there. I, I envision Dotson not being a cut more so than potentially a trade guy. Witherspoon, because of that $4 million salary, if they were to draft a guy in the first round, let's say like Porter or Banks or, or, or whoever, I think there's a possibility of him being cut. And it's mostly tied to that $4 million salary because do you want to take a guy that more than likely not going to make your 53-man roster with a $4 million uh, uh, salary and risk him getting hurt through the offseason activities there. Uh, those were those are the two that I have circled that potentially might not be Steelers not long after the draft. Now, when you look at guys like Gentry, guys like Montravius Adams, guys like uh, uh, Kendrick uh, Green, uh, Gunnar Olszewski, uh, throw out some more names for me, Alex. Uh, I think that's, and that's kind of the list. Yeah. Right. Those guys, regardless of what you do in the draft, I think still hold on through the bulk of the off season because injuries do happen. And it's not like those guys are killing you from a salary standpoint that if you cut them right after the draft with the roster displacement and what you actually save in cap space, it makes more sense to hold on to those guys, regardless of the draft picks, than it does to send them out the door 
uh, right after that. And look, uh, anybody, uh, there, there can't be anybody that listens to this podcast that thinks Kendrick Green's going to make the 53-man roster. However, you don't have that much invested with him that you could give him at least a summer as a body, an experienced body, to 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 compete throughout the offseason there. And he's got a low capture, low, 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 low uh, base salary and all like that. So I think the guys that you're look once again, that you're looking at that could potentially be out the door not long after the draft occurs is 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 Kevin Dotson via maybe a trade or Witherspoon being gone via a flat out contract termination. You said it well, Dave. I don't really have anything else to add. I agree with everything that you said. But yeah, for the cheaper guys like Gentry, like Green, you do need a 90-man roster. You need depth. You know, God forbid you get into camp and preseason have a rash of injuries at one position. Somebody get, you know, goes down, especially at tight end, you lose one of those guys. The whole landscape, you know, changes, obviously, you know, carrying typically only three. So um, you carry those guys just because they're not, you know, hurting you financially. And, you know, there's some some experience, some some competition that brings the best out in the rookie, make sure that they're on their toes and they're fighting hard for their role and their spot. So, um, you know, at Witherspoon, you know, could be Dotson could be trade wise. Um, you know, maybe you get that odd, you know, at a rookie mini camp type of cut. But, um, you know, generally, if you're cheap, then you're going to be held on to. Uh, James Cicinelli writes in a great podcast website in your Tyler Muse article about his contract. It was noted that uh, played on the league minimum contract last season and logged 70 snaps on defense and 325 on special teams. He says, I wonder who is giving you the most bang for your buck. He says, I think you can't you can't really compare special teams uh, snaps versus offense or defense snaps, because obviously you don't have as many special team snaps in a game and that players playing special teams sometimes are cheaper, but I think it would be interesting to see the value of different players positions of their cost per snap. Like how overpaid was Derek Watt? Was he asked, he says, was he the highest cost per snap of the special teamers that didn't really offer much of any other value? except random short yardage carries. And obviously if you could whittle down your cost per snap on special teams with players like Tyler Muse, then that opens up money for other positions. I, I, I get where you're coming back, coming from. And I, I think really overall, maybe what you're trying to get out, out here is the fact that uh, Derek Watt didn't, didn't carry his value per dollar. And once again, it's not his fault. His cap charge was so high because there was a restructure in there uh, that, 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 that made his cap charge swell up a little bit there, but even his regular base salary, you could make an argument that he was overpaid uh, to be a special teams ace. I get it. I, 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 I understand the consternation that people have with that, but in the flip side too, you know, Better special teams players normally cost you a little bit more money uh, overall. Now, uh, uh, Tanner Muse here with with the contract that he signed is a minimum contract. So obviously, if he makes the team and gives you 300 special team snaps, it doesn't matter what he gives you on the defensive side of the ball, which we all hope is next to nothing or nothing uh, there. So I, I don't know entirely where sure where you're going here, other than to maybe say that. Derek Watt has been overpaid for the last couple of years. And in a sense, you would not be wrong there. Yeah. It's not breaking any news about that, um, that he was getting paid a lot and wasn't offering much outside the special teams. I have not done a, a value chart in terms of, you know, cost per snap and those kinds of things. Um, I haven't, you know, taken the time. It would take a lot of 
a lot of research and effort to do that. But, you know, point taken on that, but just the, the recognition that this team needs to have, you know, quality special teamers and they lost a lot. And some of those guys may come back in Snell and Boykin, but uh, there's been a pretty big turnover there in terms of your core special teams guys. And so that's why you're happy to see a muse come in. And there's going to be some spots there at the, the end of this, this roster come camp, a guy's trying to, fill some of those gaps that were held by Spillane and Snell, potentially Boykin, um, those kinds of things. And so you, you may, you know, you talk about roster battles and you focus on offense and defense, but the last two, three guys on the roster might be fighting to, to replace some of those, you know, very valuable and pretty significant special team snaps that were lost. Right. Uh, let's see here. What else? Uh, I think we got all that. Oh, one other name I was going to add to that list of Montrevious Adams, Gunnar Olszewski, uh, who else to have on her? Gentry, uh, those kind of guys there. Uh, how safe is Miles Killebrew? Yeah, I wouldn't put his name in pen, but again, just talking about the core special teamers, do you want to turn that over again? We'll have to see what this team adds in terms of safeties, free agency, uh, undrafted, you know, draft picks. Um, but he's been, you know, I, I know he wasn't, you know, as flashy in, in terms of special teams before. play because he had the two block punt. Right. Sometimes, sometimes that's just based off scheme and just kind of opportunity. Um, he, he's certainly, I think, safe-ish right now just because of that resume, but there's no guarantee that he's going to make this team. All right. Appreciate all the emails there. Uh, appreciate the guys sitting on the round table. You got anything else to, to get us out of here, Alex? Nope. Uh, I know it was a longer show today, but we had the, uh, the round table we wanted to get to. So Dave and I will come back on Monday. And you had about 17 minutes of me talking hypotheticals related to one player in a cap charge. <laughs> <laughs> we love you for uh, it. All right. Uh, in the meantime, until Monday, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and you want to donate to the cause, steedersdepot.com. Hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad-free version of the site, go to steedersdepot.com. Hit the donate button or hit the ad free button upright navigational bar and follow the directions that way uh great job by everybody today hope you enjoyed the show and as always thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with dave and alex